Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great double feature for you today. Hot off the presses. Just had these conversations this weekend. I was talking to uh, Greg Pak, who is back to uh, tell us about his uh, Kickstarter campaign for uh, a great uh, kids book that he's got going on. He has a new Western from Dark Horse coming in the fall. We talk about those. Uh, of course, his work on the Superman books, Action Comics, and uh, Batman Superman or Superman Batman. I always forget which because one is the movie and one is the comic book. I think it's Batman Superman. And uh, the new status quo for both uh, Clark Kent and uh, Jim Gordon because Bruce is out of the picture, as we know. So uh, we, we talk about those. And also uh, the totally awesome uh, Hulk that is uh, debuting in the fall for Marvel Comics, whose identity seems to still be a mystery. But yeah, I think we all got this feeling that Amadeus Cho is about to become the next Green Goliath. So uh, we get in some Amadeus Cho talk as, as well. Uh, it's uh, great to catch up with Greg Pak. And I'm happy to help him out with his uh, Kickstarter campaign and uh, talk more about uh, some of the neat stuff he's coming uh, up in the next few months. And that's going to be in part two of Word Balloon. Part one, welcome back, Jeff Loeb, because uh, it's time for a new Loeb report. Uh, We are gearing up for the fall season. We're midway through summer. And a great opportunity to talk to Jeff post-San Diego and all the announcements that were made in San Diego. Yes, we talk about S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, we talk about Daredevil. We talk about Ant-Man, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage that are in production. And, uh, man, Luke Cage starts shooting in the fall. I had no idea. But, uh, you know, Jeff's role as the head of Marvel Television gives uh, him a great perspective of what's been going on. And this really was a watershed year, I think, for for superhero television and uh, Marvel's success, both uh, in Netflix and uh, also with uh, the ABC shows of Agent Carter and S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, it's it's a good chance to really reflect and see, you know, where things are, where things are heading and uh, get his point of view. So uh, it's a great conversation, as always, with Jeff Loeb. I'm always happy to welcome him back. Same with Greg Pak. So uh, two-fisted fun for you today on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. I'm doing what I can to uh, bring you uh, some uh, special uh, content when I can. Uh, We've got an avalanche of interviews coming up, so if you are a uh, Patreon subscriber to Word Balloon, that will give you advance access to a lot of conversations that are going to be happening in the weeks ahead. The great thing, and and also uh, a bit of a, okay, I'll talk to everybody kind of situation is everyone has projects coming out of Comic-Con that they want to promote. A lot of them are creator-owned and, and uh, you know self-funded, so can you help me out before the time runs out? It's those kinds of situations I'm happy to oblige to my friends and to newcomers whose projects I, I, I find an interest in, but um, there's going to be a lot more word balloon in the uh, weeks ahead and uh, thank you so uh, good news is to a lot of my uh, uh, followers uh, from Patreon who subscribe uh, they will get advance uh, notice and uh, access to some of these interviews before um, the weekly shows but uh, we're going to be doubling up on uh, our word balloon output I think in the next few weeks so uh, take advantage of it if you can spare an extra dollar or two and want to subscribe to word balloon come to wordballoon.com click on the tab that uh, talks about subscribing to Word Balloon. Watch the videos, and uh, if you can help, that's great. As I always say, and I mean this, the best way you can help me out at Word Balloon is letting a friend know that you like listening to the podcast. It might be something they might enjoy hearing as well and enjoying some of the great interviews and conversation that we have here each week. So uh, come to wordballoon.com and uh, find out more information on how you can support me through Patreon. 
Word Balloon is also brought to you by the Cincy Comic Con, which is coming up, man, just uh, about five weeks away or so. We're talking about uh, September uh, 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center, uh, right across the river from Cincinnati. It is beautiful. It is a great time and really looking forward to seeing everyone. This is uh, Tony Moore's uh, great convention that he and Kara and company put together. Excellent opportunity to meet some of your favorite creators, wonderful artists, wonderful writers. Uh, the Artist Alley is exceptional and gives you the opportunity to check out some really great stuff. Uh, there's going to be a wonderful uh, Lego uh, setup as well. Uh, Bricks on the Banks will be coming to Cincy Comic Con. But in addition to that, Rick Remender and Tony Moore and Mike Hawthorne are going to be celebrating the 10th anniversary of Fear Agent. Uh, Brendan Fletcher and Cameron Stewart are both going to be there from Canada uh, talking about uh, Batgirl and Black Canary. Uh, Ming Doyle is coming. Can't wait to see her and uh, talk about The Kitchen, one of my favorite Vertigo series of this year. If you like fables, you're in for a treat because writers Bill Whittlingham, Matthew Sturgis, and Chris Robertson are all going to be there. Of course, Chris, the co-creator with uh, Mike Allred of iZombie, so I'm sure he'll have a lot to say about iZombie's great success. And then listen to some of these writers and artists coming. Jeremy Bastian from Cursed Pirate Girl. Ryan Brown, God Hates Astronauts. Cullen Bunn, who writes just about half of the DC and Marvel Universes. Chris Burnham, Sean Crystal, Matthew Clark, uh, Adam Withers and Comfort Love, Toby Cypress, Evan Dorkin, Sean Dove, uh, Sarah Dyer, Action Girl, Ray Fox. Man, I can't wait to see Ray, who's drawing and writing beautiful stories, uh, his own stuff and uh, the great stuff he's been doing for DC all this time. Uh, Kyle Hotz, Mark Kidwell, um, Kevin McGuire, the great Justice League International artist, Jim Mafood, Tony Moore, of course, we mentioned, uh, Mike Maurice and Mike Norton, Phil Noto, Jeff Parker, my guy, Eric Powell, the goon, man, oh man, Derek Robertson, uh, Johnny Ryan, Mark Schultz, Chris Sprouse, Ben Templesmith, Dave Wachter, that's just a tip of the iceberg of some of the great creators that are going to be at Cincy Comic Con. And uh, the organizers are kind enough to involve me, and I will be there moderating panels and uh, figuring out some great entertainment for you. I'm not a cheerleader, rah-rah convention panel guy. I'm the guy, as you can tell, that sits down and hopefully has an interesting conversation that you get to listen in on and participate through questions. That's the kind of programming that I look forward to. And uh, Cincy Comic Con has been a wonderful forum and provided me with the opportunity of doing uh, one-of-a-kind interviews. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do had it not been for Tony and Kara to invite me and allow me to be part of it. So I hope you'll join us for another great weekend, September 12th and 13th, at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center for Cincy Comic Con. Uh, be sure to join us. Uh, looking forward to seeing you there. Let's get things started. It's time to uh, catch up with Jeff Loeb. Uh, the guy is busy, but um, as I'll say in the intro that you'll hear, uh, always happy that he makes time. We just recorded this yesterday afternoon, um, as is his want, and he is just relaxing at home. And uh, we get to uh, talk. I get to pick his brain about what's been going on. Because honestly, and this isn't hyperbole, um, history is being made. With these first steps of Marvel television and what's happening in the cinematic universe, 
And it's a really exciting time, and it's a pleasure to be there to observe and hear these guys talk about the stuff that they're making, the wonderful crews and actors that are putting this stuff together. And it's an embarrassment of riches in terms of the quality entertainment that we are getting now from all of these people, Uh, not just uh, Warner Brothers and Disney, but all of these uh, comic-related content creators that are just making exceptional geek entertainment. And uh, I'm telling you, it's it's fascinating. So it's great to hear from one of the guys uh, that plays a major role in it. So let's uh, bring you now my conversation with Jeff Loeb on Word Balloon. I cannot believe we are doing another Loeb report this year because my guy is so busy all the time. And uh, you, you always do make time for me, Jeff Loeb, and I appreciate it. It's so, ne- so never back. too busy, mostly because the folks at Stinky Productions who <laughs> sponsor all of this, you know, they give such large charitable donations uh, that uh, I feel that I'm actually sort of doing Odin's work by being out here. That's beautiful, man. Absolutely. And I love Stinky Productions. That's fantastic. (laughs) I should have shirts made. That's excellent, man. Jesus. Uh, Wow. You know, I literally waited knowing that I was going to be talking to you to finish Daredevil like within like a day or two of us talking because, A, I wanted to savor it. As much as possible. You'd be one of the and few. Most people just just didn't straight through. But that's I didn't want to end. That's the joy of Netflix. Like I, some people want to watch it in thirteen straight hours, where I, I guess their eyeballs fall out. Yeah. Uh, or, or they, you know, they. I think they do two or three at a time, and then and then so it sort of can carry over for a few months. It, what's so strange is it's still July. Like it's only been out since April. Exactly. Like I like to some extent. Like when people talk to me about it. I feel like it was like a year ago, but part of that has to do with uh, that production started on season two. So, I, you know, when you're already into the next season, it's hard to remember that last season was was literally two months ago. Well, Jesus, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, you're right, and that's the thing. I didn't want it. I wanted to stretch it out as much as I could. I did the same thing with Sherlock on the BBC and everything. I would like, I knew well, that, that, like, the first That's high praise putting us in that territory, because for us, Sherlock is, you know, at the top. All right? You know, that it's just extraordinarily talented people work on that show. Well, that's the thing, man, and, I, and believe me, I want to talk about, you know, the, the ABC stuff as well, because really, second season of S.H.I.E.L.D. was fantastic, loved Agent Carter, and we'll get to all that. But Daredevil, as we all are saying as observers, and I'm sure you guys on the inside are saying as well, it's a game changer. It really is. It is TV in a way that has never been done before. This is a landmark show. This is a Batman 66-like kind of cultural shift. Maybe not in terms of merchandising and stuff, but at least everyone's kind of taking a step back and going, that's the last thing in the world I would have expected to work in this way, as crazy as Batman was in a parody sense, and as hardcore as Daredevil was. Look, you never set out to do anything in terms of being a game changer or, or any of the high praise you just gave us, you know, we just set out to tell a story. I, we, we were very clear from the very beginning. Uh, I think you and I actually talked about it before anybody saw it. I, you know, the influences were, were things that we talked about from day one that, that, you know, we were looking at, at the early filmmakers in the 1970s, yeah. uh, people like Scorsese and Mean Streets and, and Taxi Driver and, and Billy Friedkin and, Yep. Uh, and uh, French Connection and, and uh, Lamette and Serpico. Yeah. Those were the films that we were looking at and, and 
Phil Abraham, uh, who directed the first two and really very much set the tone of, of where we were going, um, you know, just got it. And, and I think that speaks a lot to all of the shows that we're doing, uh, is that, you know, it, it takes that moment at the beginning to, to sit with the showrunner, to sit with Marvel, to sit with the director, the, the costume designer, our casting people, uh, you know, and, and really talk about what is it that we're trying to reach for and hope that it works. And, and the, the, the fun that we've been having of late is that S.H.I.E.L.D. is not like Carter, is not like yes. Daredevil, is not like, when you haven't seen Jessica Jones, I, you know, and, and wait till folks get a hold of, of Luke Cage. Like, that's a whole other show. <laughs> Uh, in, a, in an awesome way, like I like, yeah. I like people are just going to go. I like it. Really does show that the Marvel universe has no boundaries, as as a universe shouldn't. Um, but I, you know, in many ways, I I take our inspiration from the studio because I look at last year and I can't think of two films that were more different than Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, and and you know, one was ground, grounded political thriller, and, and the other was, for all intents and purposes, a, a cosmic comedy. And and yet they both felt Marvel. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I think that's really the place that we're headed to in as we continue to grow as a television division, which is is not for us to have all of our shows feel like they're the same. And and a lot of that simply comes from the publishing group. I, you know, I think at the end of the day, in in our world of of mass media, where the movies and television get so much attention, we don't remember to go back and thank everyone in the publishing group because it's where it all starts. And mm-hmm. when you look at what's going on, particularly now, um, where you know, Spider-Man and the Avengers, and then there's Howard the Duck, and then there's Ms. Marvel. It's like, you know, again, you look at all of those things and you go, oh, there isn't a definable Marvel comic that you could say, well, I I read Marvel because I read this. No, you Mm -hmm. read Marvel because you read the entire line. And, but it, it does have a unifying theme, if if I were to pick one, and that is that what we try to do no matter what is that the stories feel epic, even though they might be small because they're on television, and and that at its core, the hero is aspirational, and that we truly believe that if you put your average person in the worst situation that they can be in, that a hero rises up, and and that's a very different way of thinking than, for example, at at Arthur Singer's competition. You know, I, like I love the Nolan films, and, and I should because uh, they've been very generous in, in crediting things like Long Halloween and Dark Victory as being you, you know, very influential <laughs> in those films. But, yeah, man. But but when you look at those films, Nolan seems to be saying. That that if you break down the system and and you take away justice, that you will see the worst come out of mankind. 
that that they'll set up you know trials where they hang people and and where the the disenfranchised will take the 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 franchise and and throw them in the street and and mob mentality will break out um and in marvel you take tony stark who is a a arrogant playboy who clearly has no real understanding as to what his weapons are being used for. You strip him of his identity. You strip him of his, of his wealth. You literally tear out his heart and stuff him in a cave. And instead of the worst coming out of him, Iron Man arises out of him. <laughs> and, and that is really, for us, the place that we go to. And so if you look for anything... As a as a themery, and I've just used that word, you know, <laughs> Agent Coulson is 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 murdered by Loki, um, and and given a, a a sort of a ragtag group of individuals, and is determined to bring Shield back to its former glory, and continually sees it being torn down, and and there's traitors amongst them, and Hydra is there, and and all of those things, and yet he never once flinches from where he's going to go. He is the quintessential Marvel hero. Agent Carter is a woman who is in a in a world where women are told that they are less than men, that her skills are diminished by the people around, that whenever she tries to triumph, other people take credit for her work, and yet she rises above it and tries to be the best hero that she can be and succeeds. Daredevil is, is, is taking on an impossible task. Everyone around him says that, that Fisk is an unbeatable foe and that even if he does, what will that mean? Even by his own friends. Uh, and, and yet he cannot help but, but rise above that in the name of of justice in the name of love in the name of being a hero um and and those are the things that we look for so that no matter whether or not it's it's lighthearted and fun or whether it's dark and uh, and dangerous and noirish um you still get to the end of the story and the hero has triumphed and and i believe that that's what people particularly now where where the world changes in a heartbeat they want to know that there's still hope and and that's yep. really what it's about at the end of the day agreed and uh, and it is weird because to spend one more moment on the distinguished competition while they have that it I don't understand why why it's missing in the movies because I think it's there in the TV shows, and that's the thing. I really think Guggenheim and Berlanti and Kinsberg and all these guys, Kreisberg, have all like really kicked ass and made some really great TV. And Jesus, I saw that Supergirl pilot, and that looks fantastic too. Uh, it's it's interesting that hope and humor and and ultimately the hero, you know, coming through the tough odds and everything comes through more on television. And the movies still seem to be these downers, and it's like, all right. And they promised us humor on Super Suicide Squad. I hope that's the case. I like the trailers fine. I really do, and I love the Nolan movies. But it is weird. It's weird. It just seems like joy 
and hope. That's that just seems to be f- way in the background. I don't know. And and, and look, I, those are choices. They're they're in the same sure. kind of way that that you know not every film you know can can feel like Ant Man. I you know it's loved it, uh, loved it. You know, absolutely. It's, you you try and tell the best story you can. And what's fantastic about the Marvel IP is that it it allows you to continually find different worlds, different theaters, different, and I mean theater, the theaters of, of life, uh, and, and the characters themselves and how they each take on the challenges that are in front of them. And, you know, it... For me, it will always go back to, you know, 16-year-old Peter Parker, you know, wants desperately to be liked and mm-hmm. and gets bitten by a radioactive spider and, uh, and, and instead of getting his wish, has to learn that with great power comes great responsibility. And, and while, you know, in the 50-some-odd years, Spider-Man has had some victories, what what makes Spidey Spidey is that it's that Peter Parker luck that you know even if Spidey has the best day ever and then Peter has the worst day ever or even if Peter has the best day ever Spidey has the worst day ever um, mm-hmm. and it just it, it's something which just is entirely unique out there in in the genre that that we used to call superhero stories and I think now more people are, are referring to as adventure stories which is really where it all came from fair enough a quick uh, spoiler free moment on Ant-Man it was fun to watch what felt like all the different flavors of the screenwriters and filmmakers that have been involved Edgar Wright Adam McKay didn't realize Adam McKay frankly uh, or had forgotten that he was going to be part of the script but that's the thing it, it, as you're saying it felt like a Marvel movie and it really was this example of what you just described as what the comics line is about in terms of there was plenty of adventure. The comedy did stand on its own and it, it worked. And I was really happy about that because it, it worked in a way that as interesting as AI was being part uh, Spielberg and part Kubrick, um, that was an interesting failure to watch. Ant-Man, it just seemed like it all worked. And I hope that – I know it seems to be a slower burn – than uh, what uh, the other Marvel movies have performed at. But it's still, you know, I'm glad it's winning its weekends and everything. And God, I hope word of mouth continues or people will discover it. But I, I think it was a success. Yeah, no, very much so. Okay, good. Because, you know, I, you never know. Because I know that, like, each project has, there's an expected box office reach. And everyone's like, well, it didn't quite make that hurdle. And I don't know how much that happens in the boardroom or projected by the media covering it. I don't know. At the end of the day, you know, you look at a film that that has, you know, a relatively unknown character, and you know, I think by the time we we get out to the end of it, it'll be very comparable to Captain America and Thor, and 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 those are by far more recognizable characters. And so, sure, you know, if that's the place that we wind up yeah. with, then then you know, booyah, there's a success. And I did just say cool. <laughs> Was, no man, it was it was really fun, and I uh, I man I I loved it, and it opened doors again, staying as spoiler free as I can, to possible flashback stories 
uh, given what was set up. And I just love the seamless running through of television and film mm-hmm. and the way people can show up. And that's great. And that's just – that's uncharted territory. I mean that's something we've always wanted, but, you know, good Christ, other than Harrison Ford showing up in one, you know, young Indiana Jones – I think that's about it. And I mean, I, and I know, and I've seen, you know, I watched your interviews with uh, Jonah on the CBR boat uh, and, and, you know, you guys acknowledging um, just, and now, and I've lost my train of thought, but basically. You're talking the, about the connection between not only the shows, but, but the films as well. I, look, yes. I, and the expectation it, that, yeah. It, that, it like, is, there is an expectation. I mean, I think one of the things that's important to us is, is that we do, introduce those worlds and allow those worlds to grow and, and feel like they are their own. Uh, they can stand on their own so that you don't, right. the, what we never want the Marvel universe to feel like is the, the eighth chapter of a book. So it's, it's like, well, I, I don't know that I want to go see, uh, you know, Avengers two, cause I didn't see Avengers one. You don't need to, you, you can just right. come along and, and, and the adventure should feel that way, you know. Joe Casada used to always tell us, um, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, like he may have taken it from Stan Lee, um, is that you know one of the edicts in publishing is that you have to remember that that every comic book is somebody's first comic book, and mm-hmm. so you need to take the moment and and let people uh, realize okay, who is this person and, and what do they want and what's keeping them from getting it so that they understand that each time. Um, and, and it's hard because we're in a serialized world and, and mm-hmm. you don't want to feel like you're recapping something because, geez, I, I know that. I just I just felt that way. And so many of uh, comics are now available in trade form, so you really are reading the next one, not a month later, but you're reading it four seconds later. Um, and it's interesting because it's one of the things that we've had to learn uh, in our Netflix stories is because, you know, when you work in broadcast, the ABC shows, you know, those shows are very much built around the notion of be sure to take a few minutes at the very beginning, not just of every season, but of every show, not just with a previously on, but just in terms of resetting your characters, letting people know who they are, letting people know, you know, what's going on. And sometimes it's just a little simple thing of making sure that that everyone calls somebody else by their name just so that just in case you know does it always make sense that that you know that daisy would say you know i got you director colson or uh, you know right behind you (laughs) colson or right at you phil like i maybe you don't um but i also wonder whether or not if if people were to actually think about conversations they have with people particularly if they're just walking into a conversation with them, sometimes they, you know, there's that, you know, hi, John, hi, Jeff. I mean, there's those sure. moments that you have at the very beginning that are simple <laughs> acknowledgments of, of who they are and who everybody is. Um, sure. And and when you're dealing with Netflix, one of the things that, that, that we try to do is to remember that there is that possibility that someone just watched the end. So they come right up on on what's going on, which is why there is no previously on. Um, it, you know, we just go right into the show. Uh, yes. And for what it's worth, I, at the moment, this kind of viewing is is the new kind of viewing. Uh, yes. And we'll see where it it takes us. Um, you know, the, what what is 
exciting now is that, you know, there are so many different ways of watching and telling stories that, here, here. that you know, broadcast is not the same as cable, it's not the same as, as sort of what I refer to as sort of faux cable, which is, you know, and I, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I, what they, they actually call it basic cable, um, you know, where you're looking at things like FX or USA or, or TNT, uh-huh. which are not the same as broadcast, and they're not the same as premium. Um, and absolutely. Uh, and so then you get to your sort of your HBOs and Showtimes and Stars, and then now there's the whole world of SVOD, which is you know Netflix and Amazon and uh, and Hulu and and each of those platforms require a different kind of storytelling because each of those platforms have a different kind of viewer, and and the more specific you can be to that viewer, the more successful, at least the thinking is, that you will be. And so, uh, you know, thank goodness there's, there's a golf channel, there's a cooking channel, there's a, there's a you know, I, one of the shows that I actually admit to watching, because it's the only thing that's on at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, you know, is the knife show. Like I was going to say, don't say the knife show, Joe. It's, it's, it's kind of frightening to me. Like, like this guy is on every night selling knives. Like, I, and, I, and what, what cracks me about, up about watching it is, is that I know that to the guy that's watching the knife show, there are actually different episodes. To me, it seems like it's the same show every night. That guy and the guy that sells coins. It seems like every time I turn them on, I'm like, is this the show that was on last night? But We've got to tell Jimmy Dimonakis to start up KnifeCon. <laughs> the show that Reed Industries is clearly... I believe me, I, I'm sure there's a KnifeCon somewhere. I, you know, I, look, there's, <laughs> there's gun conventions. That's um, true. Of course there is. Uh, really, the weapons guy is right there at the corner of every you know wizard show. So, yeah, of course. No, but I, I don't know if you remember, there was a year when I, one of the shows... I think it was the Wizard Con moved to downtown LA, and it was the same weekend as the marathon. Yes, so, like, I remember you that. Couldn't yeah, get yeah. to it. Like there was no. It was it Yo, was kind Gary. of a disaster because yeah. you couldn't park. You couldn't. I like all the streets were closed. But but the LA Convention Center is big enough to actually hold different conventions, and so I remember so clearly like walking into this gun convention and going, okay, I don't know where I am, but I'm not in Kansas. And, or maybe I actually was in Kansas. Uh, and, and, and then realizing, oh, I'm not at the comic book convention. I'm at the gun convention. Uh, so it, it's just, yeah, so that brings us all the way back to, yes, there's somewhere there's someone's doing a knife show this weekend, and, and uh, yes. it's pretty fantastic. All right. And wow, we, we could not have traveled further away from, I think, that what we were supposed to be talking about. But yeah, that's all right. We, we, we had a detour. It was all good. So back to, all right, so back to ABC TV. Man, you know what the affirmation for Agent Carter was for me was seeing all the Agent Carter cosplayers. And that was fantastic because, you know, again, I, I, well, you're getting another season, so obviously the network is behind you and everything's great. I was so pleased. And, and it was the Captain America sequel to the you know first Avenger story in in the best way and and also this great platform for a female hero but that's the thing it really you know I mean I always say I'm I'm like a 
liberal knuckle dragger where, you know, you show me an alias and I'm like, fuck yeah, more of this. This is a great show. I don't care. You know, whatever. I, I don't actively seek a female hero to get behind. But Peggy Carter, you can't help but root for her and love her from what she did in first in Avenger to the short in Iron Man 3 to the series. And it's, again, it was just such a great success. And, you know, again, I know that, like, everyone's watching the numbers and, oh, I don't know. And, you know, everyone's kind of hanging by the skin of their teeth. And thankfully, you get greenlit. And like I said, I think the proof is there that all these cosplayers and the re- reception that you guys got in Hall H for Agent Carter. That was wonderful, man. Uh, you know, look, I, I give a lot of credit where credit's due. I, it begins with, with Louis Desposito, uh, who's the co-president. You know, so much love and affection, deservedly so, uh, is heaped on Kevin Feige uh, and all of, of what he's done in, uh, you know, as the president of the studio. But uh, there is a co-president, and, and Louis is, is mostly known... Uh, for his production skills, which are extraordinary, but but he's also has creative side of him, and he also has uh, has a director bone in him, and uh, and you know they went and they made this the Agent Carter short, uh, and uh, you know based on that, the one thing that 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 really came through was that it felt modern without it feeling uh, too much of a period piece. Um, and and then also that Haley Atwell was clearly this giant movie star who was somehow making it work on as we affectionately refer to it the small screen. Um, and so being able to have Haley, uh, you know, agree to do it and to come on board, and then and then add to that, uh, you know, Chris Marcus and Steve McFeely who had written both Captain America movies. To, to write the pilot and to sort of give the show its tone and its tenor. Um, and then to have such great showrunners in, in, in uh, Fazekas and Butters and Tara Michelle, um, you know, who, and Chris Dingus, uh, who's sort of the, the unmarked secret weapon of the group. Um, and, uh, you know, to have that many really strong creative people um, and then a cast that you know begins with James Darcy, and and I, it, it yeah. just it just sort of all came together in a way that it was the show that we wanted to make, and um, and I think the part that's even more exciting is that that you know all of the lessons of season one in terms of you know production and, and in terms of what really worked with her and and what we could do. Uh, and where she really resonated, all those things are lessons that we're taking into season two. Um, and as I think people listening to this already know, is you know we're moving the show to Los Angeles in the 1940s. Yep. Um, yep. It, it really enables us to not have to to build an artifice to allow the city to be able to to grow and and to be able to use things like the like the observatory and the Hollywood sign and and you know things mm-hmm. that that still. There's so much of of L.A. as as you learn from films like L.A. Confidential, that that it still looks exactly like it did back then, and mm-hmm. you know, and at the same token, to be able to have palm trees and blue sky and 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 drop a character like Jarvis into that world, <laughs> you know, you just know, okay, there's comedy where we've already found it, um, and so you know, it's it's things like that that I think are going to make 
that show, you know, plus I think the word of mouth of, of how many people who really did find the show as fun as it did, um, coupled with, you know, I, it, it happens what, what we expect, which is the, you know, the fall, uh, episodes of, of, uh, shield season three, you know, where we do have this incredibly powerful, uh, Marvel, uh, iconography in the inhumans as, as something to hold on to. So if you're, you know, if you love shield, you've got something. If you've never watched shield, you've got something. If you used to watch shield and you want to come back, you know, it's a really simple concept for you to be able to, to hook on to there that at the end of last season, we saw that the Terrigen is now in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there can be at any moment, uh, an individual can, can pop and become inhuman. Uh, and, and in a, in a real grounded world, you know, what would you do if you were planning on going to work the next morning, but when you went to bed at night and you woke up and your entire house had been burned down and it was you who caused that, um, how would, how do you react to that? Is that something, do you, do you seek more power? Do you, are you afraid? Do you want to no longer live, you know, and, and bring shield into that situation with a very clear agenda, which is to get to this person, help this person in any way they can. Um, but that may not end well. Uh, and so being able to sort of understand what drives shield, what drives Colson and the team, uh, knowing that the team now has an established character from the comics, in Daisy Johnson as sort of the, the 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 first contact person, so that if you have uh, you know evolved to pick a word, uh, that there's somebody who's there that has gone through it and is basically saying to you, "I know what it is that you're going through, and it does get better." Uh, but that doesn't mean that it is going to get better for everybody, and it doesn't mean. That that going through teragenesis is something that is a a an experience that is a good thing. I mean, and again, that goes back to Peter Parker getting bitten by a radioactive spider. Um, Absolutely, you know, uh, it is how your world is turned upside down. And and I've talked a lot about this in the last few weeks, which is, you know, what social media does for us is on the one hand, it does bring us closer together, but it also, it, it has created a 24-hour news cycle, and it has created a world in which you are continually thrown in to your level of tolerance and your level of intolerance. And, and the way that people behave, and then the way that people react to that behavior is right there for you to to look at. And it is either a mirror for you to look at, or it is something, a looking glass for you to go through. Um, and there's never been a time in our history, more so than now, where people's opinions about who they are and what they are and, and what they believe in and, and what they're willing to do to make those beliefs uh, be shared with other people is unrivaled. Um, because you now have a platform under which or by which or with which you can <laughs> uh, you can be able to voice those opinions. So, you know, it, it all started a long time ago when, when you know, 
prophets went from from village to village and tried to convince people of their way of thinking. Um, Absolutely, and, the tent revivals. Yeah, man. And 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 now we live in a world where you know you can post something on on Twitter and by the end of the day have reached a million people uh, either in a positive way or in an extremely negative way. And and that kind of instantaneous ability to be able to touch people's lives. It makes a great metaphor for what it is that we're doing, and and so you know, Shield is there to act as sort of the governor on that throttle of information that's being given to you, and and how do we feel about that? You know, is it, is it the world of, of the NSA or is it the world of somebody there to protect you? Um, and and that for us will create an incredibly rich season. Of characters that we've come to know and love, and you know, again, I, it's one of the things that I, I I marvel at, pun intended. You know, is that it, it's pretty rare when you can introduce one new character uh, and and have them stick. You know, for us to have introduced four new characters, you know, starting with uh, you know Bobby Morse and, and Adrian Palicki playing that role, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and Mac um, being played by by Henry Simmons, and and then of course my favorite, which is Lance Hunter being played by Nick Blood, as opposed to Nick Blood uh, being played by Lance Hunter, which is actually what I think it ought to be. Uh, and then uh, you know, and then the you know our newest human, you know, the character of Lincoln, played by Luke Mitchell, and like all of these guys are now regulars on the show. Um, that for us is is really a great triumph and speaks very much to the people who watch the show and the people that are, are involved in it, you know, really embracing how that cast has grown from, you know, six now to 10, uh, and, and how that'll affect the storytelling and, and our ability to be able to weave different stories so that you can have sort of very different adventures, even within their own, uh, episodes. Could you conceivably, in the way that Agent Carter was used as a mid-season replacement, could you splinter the show off like the X-Men in the in the day of having the uh, the gold team? Was it the blue team and the gold team? You know, I suck at the X-Men, but something like that, where they had the two different two different teams. I mean, but could you do, could you do that on Shield? Well, I, I don't know that we would do it as much as as to actually tell completely different stories. But there there was, for example, if you were watching last season. You know, there were there was an entire Inhuman storyline and going into afterlife and following all that, and then there was an entire storyline of chasing Ward down. Um, right. And yes. then those stories found a way in order to to come back on each other. And I and I think that's basically where we're headed again this season, which is that you'll okay. you'll be you'll be following whatever your favorite character is, and you'll suddenly realize, oh, that story's crossing into this one. Sure. And and now I get to sort of feel the full adventure of it. And and I and again, credit where credits due. I, you know, uh, there are there are three people who are are so integral to that show. The showrunners, you know, the, the two of the co-creators, which are are uh, Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron, but but also Jeff Bell, who's there from the very beginning as well, uh, and and has as much to do with the look and the feel of that show as anybody else. And and uh, you know. Together we've managed to make something. And again, I, it's, I have talked to you a little bit about this. Is that what 
what that show does not get enough credit for is that with the exception of Phil Coulson, and by the way, Phil Coulson was not created uh, in the comics. So that the, it was a, a world of almost all brand new characters, uh, mm-hmm. including Phil Coulson in a way. Uh, and for that to have been able to found an audience, you know, I've, when, you know, when you add in the, the plus threes and, and what I mean by that is, is, is the way that people watch television now, putting it on their DVR and then watching it three days later, uh, you know, I, we have an audience of close to 10 million people each week in and out. Um, I, you know, that's an extraordinary foundation upon which the Marvel television universe is based. Uh, sure. And, you know, if that's the kind of thing, I mean, I think one of the, the, the you know, people talk a lot about ratings and, and, and things like that. And what you, what you can't do is talk about ratings now purely in terms of the First overnight right. success of a show. So right. whether or not someone watches the show, uh, you know, the night that it's on and we're on an extremely competitive night, um, or whether or not they watch it three days later or they watch it seven days later or they watch it 30 days later. I mean, one of the things that, that is really the benefit of being on Netflix, aside from the fact that they don't really give a rat's ass about ratings, um, you know, what they do is they watch the way that people watch television um, and and are catering to that by allowing the stories to be told over a period of time, allowing you to see the entire season at one time, and so broadcast television has to learn, and the media, more importantly, has to learn that, you know, going after a show in a negative light because the overnights were not these giant numbers that are all a thing of the past. Um, you know, I remember when when we were on shows like Lost and Heroes and, and we were uh-huh. doing sixes and sevens that, that you know, if you did a three – your show was going to get canceled. Like, I, like there was no one that was going to have a show that had a three that they were going to keep on the air. Absolutely. Uh, and, and now, I, if people did a three, they'd be doing backflips out of balconies. Uh, <laughs> and, do the advertisers and, understand? And, and do- so, you know, but the idea is is that the, because the world has changed. The world doesn't want to watch television when they are told to watch television. The world wants right. to watch television when they want to watch television. And so, you know, they want, they'd rather watch it instead of watching the knife show at 3 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, <laughs> be my guest. Watch it at 3 o'clock in the morning, as long as you're watching it. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm and, with you, man. And, and, and more and more, you know, what we're finding out is that the number of people that are watching the shows in, in multiple times. I mean, the number of parents that have told me that their kids get up in the morning and and they get up an hour early on Wednesday morning so that they can watch Shields before they go to school. Uh, and so they watch it while they're eating breakfast. And, and then they, you know, they come home afterwards and they watch it again when they get home. And, you know, that's that's how you build a fan base. Is, and that's how you build a group of people that are excited and are compelled to keep coming back. Um, and, and that was the one thing about last season – on Shield was that that it, we held the same audience from when we started to the end of the season. There's not a lot of shows that can say that. I mean, and I mean a consistency when there were specials on, when there were other, you know, other networks were trying to, you know, and we're up against The Voice, which is the highest watched show. It's not a show anybody watches after the first. They don't DVR that show. It's it's a show that because any live competition people want to watch at that moment. 
Um, you know, the, we have NCIS, which is which is a show that's been on for you know a hundred years, and and so there's certain people that are watching that show just out of habit. You know, it's just it's like going to grandma's house on on Sunday. You know, why do we keep going? Well, because we don't know how much longer she's going to be around. You know, I, that's that's kind of what it is. It's like okay, fine, terrific. I, I'm glad you enjoy that. But, you know, so all it means is is that people are still watching S.H.I.E.L.D. They're just not watching S.H.I.E.L.D. at that particular moment in time. Um, and, and okay, great. Uh, and the same goes with Carter. Uh, and, and for that, I really respect the folks at ABC because they are starting to learn that, that – the way that people watch television is not necessarily the way that people watch television five years ago, three years ago. Right. Um, and, and, and are building schedules around that in order to, because otherwise all we're going to have to watch are, are, you know, dancing with the stars and, and bachelor. Um, because <laughs> you, uh, you know, those, those are shows that demand that you watch them on the night that they're on. Right. Yeah, they're almost they're entertainment sports almost. I mean, correct. they really are. That's exactly it. I mean, I, nobody watches. I, I mean, I suppose there's people that are out there that do that. But like, if there's Sunday football on, you're not watching it on Monday. Oh yeah, no, I tape the game. What are you, an idiot? <laughs> I, 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 okay, you, you didn't tape the game. You missed the game, is what you did. Uh, and and so you know, we try to make television that feels like that. We try to make it so that. There are surprises where characters suddenly do sure. do things that you wouldn't know, or there's an unexpected death, or there's a, a twist in what happens, or there's a kind of drama that that compels you to watch. Uh, and and if that happens, fantastic. Um, but if you want to watch the show on Thursday, watch the show on Thursday. Uh, just, <laughs> make, just, just make sure that you're also DVRing, you know, scandal and how to go with murder because that's important too. <laughs> Poor Fitzsimmons, that was a great cliffhanger there. I, I, oh, you know, have, I, and where that goes is 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 so remarkable, and and <laughs> I, you know, again, I get the joy of being able to, I get to watch it before it's on, then I get to watch it when it's on, because I watch it with my daughter, and and so she gives me all of the, because <gasps> I never, because unfortunately, I, you know, I'm there when the story gets first thought of, and so. You know, I you know I'm I'm sitting there going, wow, I, I'll never be able to watch Shield and have the surprise. I mean, I, the the surprise for me is that it looks as amazing as it did on the page, um, but I'll never be able to watch it without knowing what was going to happen. Um, and so I have to take it from the people who who watch the show and the people who talk to us. And and I, and again, when you're talking about social media. You know, there's five million followers on the Facebook page. Like, you know, you know I, that's just extraordinary for a show that's in its second season. Uh, oh yeah, imagine uh, what would have happened with Star Trek if they had social media back no, then. No, exactly. exactly. You know, I mean, it's, it's yeah, man. Uh, you know, it's very much of the moment. Well, and I, I should, I meant to ask because obviously, you know, Marvel fans in the know understand it can can kind of connect the dots in terms of where the Inhumans place is now in the Marvel Universe uh, versus a couple of years ago. And you've even laid it out in our description and that Marvel fans in the know do understand that it gives you guys the opportunity with a different set of, of 
alien people uh, other than mutants to to visit the ter- same territory, but with the opportunities of today's society versus what you know everybody from Stan and Jack to Len Wein and Roy Thomas and all you know Claremont and all the great X Men writers up until this moment had with that set was the de- decision with the Inhumans. Do you, did it evolve or did it come from honestly a crass necessity of you know something Fox has got the mutants locked up. What can we do to you know tell these kinds of stories because they're valid? It isn't ju- any others are represented. Aliens could be mutants. It doesn't matter what the species itself is. It's an opportunity to tell this kind of adventure story. So, do you think that was just a, a, a like? Can you tell me the evolution of the idea of well, no, the Inhumans can do it, and this will no, make I mean, sense. I, first of all, the Inhumans always could do it, and, and that kind of storytelling has always been there. And, and once it was. I mean, I, it was always part of, uh, you know. I mean, was I, it? In many, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, if you go back and you take a look at 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 you know the the Paul Jenkins Jay Lee and Human storyline, um, you know, okay. once once the the notion of Genesis and and where it came from, and then and it ties back to the Cree, and and it was it's such a cool idea that. Yeah. That the that the Cree came here essentially looking for a way to you know, increase their power. And and, mm-hmm. and it you know, and that goes all the way back to Attila, you know, going into other countries. I mean it's really where it came from. Um sure. was that was that you know, if you go and, and, and the Roman army did the same thing, was you go and you take over another country and then you take that country and you make it your own and, and then your your army then grows you right. by that and then suddenly the races yeah. are mixed and now now nobody really understands who anybody was other than <laughs> this is the way that, that things get started. And sure. um so you know, Marvel always works best when it starts with something real happening to it. Um, but you know this notion that 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 things were done because of whether or not things were available or not available. I, you know, it's, it's not like we're not telling X Men stories. Like they're they're still one of the highest selling comic books in the world. And but in other media, uh, but, but and, in TV, TV and movies. Jeff. Yeah, exactly. But by the same token, that it. It gave us an opportunity to be able to do that, even though it was it was going on. And, and absolutely, okay. there were ways of doing it where there were stories that could have been told with aliens, or the, or or even just you know you touch us on it a little bit in the world of Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, our our growth uh, is is simply how many different corners of the universe can you get to and so whether or not it's it's that we're going to tell you know it, the, the story of the street level heroes over at Netflix you know had to be told in the way that we told them um, and you know there was a world where Daredevil could have been a feature film and there was a world where Daredevil could have been um, a, a broadcast television show the best way to do it from our very humble opinion was to tell it as we did on Netflix, uh-huh. and so I, it's the same kind of thing. We we look at every single one of our characters in our library, and and say, okay, what's the best forum for that character? Um, you know, this season, you know, it's it's not it's not a secret. People know that that we're introducing the Punisher, and John Barenthal is playing the role. 
um, I, you know, in in season two and of Daredevil, Daredevil. and um, yeah. you know, but they tried the Punisher three times, yes, uh, as feature films. It didn't it didn't work in in that format. Now that there may have been a lot of reasons for that, um, but. You know, and there are, are people that are already saying to us, well, why didn't you just make a, a Punisher show? Why did you decide to have Punisher appear on Daredevil first? Again, it was the best way for us to be able to incorporate the character the way that we felt the audience would want to see more of this character. Do we hope that it'll grow and out into something else? Absolutely. Um, sure. There's anything that we do that we don't hope is going to show growth. Um, but it always begins with a very simple concept, which is how do we tell the best story that we can? Is ABC, you know, given what S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter have done, I mean, are, you're still pumping new ideas, obviously, through the ABC channel as well. Netflix, we see the line. We, we know what's coming up. But beyond what we currently see, I mean, you know, I, and I know there's also obviously you're able to plant the seeds, I'm assuming, for an Inhumans movie in the S.H.I.E.L.D. series. So that's nice. But like, you know, I mean, and also I've, I, in, ta- in our conversations and w- things that we've known, Mockingbird was in development. Well, now Bobby's part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything. So, you know, you, I'm sure some of those ideas probably found their way into the writer's room of, of what you guys were doing with S.H.I.E.L.D. You, you know, know, again, I... It, Part of the the challenge of what it is that we do is is that you know the idea of deciding that that they were going to announce the movies that they were going to make for the next five years was a very bold thing to do, I and mean, it was basically just saying, okay, these are this is our plan through 2019. Um, television is a very different medium in that way, in that first of all, we don't get to make those kinds of broad statements because. It's the network that decides whether or not we're going to move on and whether or not we're going to continue. Now, we certainly hope that there's going to be a shield season four, five, six, seven. We we don't think that there's any reason that there won't be. Um, uh, but again, that's up for ABC to decide. You know, sure. A lot of people were surprised and delighted that Carter got a season two. I I would love to be able to tell people that that you know we're committed to making Agent Carter for you know through 2019. Um, we certainly have the right people, and we certainly have a great uh, cast in order to do that. It's not how it works. Um, but it, but the difference was when we made the deal with Netflix, it, it was part of the reason why we made the deal the way that we did was that it was to say we are bringing an entire corner of the Marvel Universe to Netflix, and, and we are making a commitment of – 60 episodes, um, you know, four series and then an event series at the end where they all get together. And it, it was embracing the boldness that Marvel had when, you know, they announced that they were making, you know, Iron Man and, and Hulk and Captain America and, and Thor, and then they were going to make the Avengers. And, and, you know, again, going to our, our distinguished competition, you know, they had a whole plan that, that kicked off with the Green Lantern movie and then that movie sidecard and, and suddenly the plan didn't exist anymore. Um, and so, you know, you have to have a certain amount of, of uh, let's just say boldness or Marvel 
to be able to sort of step off the curb and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, and, you know, it's certainly our hope that each one of those uh, Netflix series tops the next one. Um, we didn't, when we set out, know that there was, I mean, we knew there was a possibility, but we didn't think that we were going to get an order for a, a Daredevil season two so quickly. And we certainly didn't think that that season was going to happen before Defenders. Um, but, you know, the way we looked at it was, well, they made an Iron Man 2 before they made an Avengers. Um, and so, you know, if there's an opportunity to get to know Matt Murdock and, and Karen Page and Foggy Nelson better, if you if there's an opportunity for us to be able to establish Daredevil in the Marvel Universe, television universe, uh, so that by the time we get to Defenders, there's an even larger group of people that get to know that character. Um, and if, you know, some of the characters that we're introducing this season continue in the way that we think we're going to, it just makes Defenders become all that more richer. That's awesome. No, I'm psyched, man. Can you tell me, because um, you guys have always, you know, Winter Soldier was like, eh, you know, if you like uh, Three Days of the Condor, I think you're going to be happy. You know, Daredevil was, like you said, Friedkin, French Connection, and, and, and Mean Streets, and, and, you know, Taxi Driver and stuff in 70s New York. Um, Jessica Jones is slightly different than Daredevil. Is there a movie illusion that you can yeah, tell I mean, us? Yeah, again, we're, we're – the, the, the film that we always looked at was Chinatown, and, and the, the, that shouldn't come as a surprise because Brian's original vision of uh, when, when Brian and Michael Gatos created, Brian Badness and, and Michael Gatos created uh, Jessica Jones, you know, it, it opens with the opening scene from Chinatown. There, it's, it's not even an homage. It's the scene. Uh, oh, that's funny. I'm going to have to reread that. I didn't uh, pick up uh, that. And, and so, you know, it's what what you do is is, you know, so much of, of 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 Chinatown is about you know Jack Nicholson plays a guy who was a cop who's something terrible happened to him and now he has reinvented his life as a private detective but it it drags him back into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, That's you true. know it's yeah. Chinatown, Jake. Um, and <laughs> and uh, you know Jessica Jones and this I think is the brilliance of what of what Brian created started with that same concept which is. You know, a woman who is a superhero, something terrible happens to her, and <coughs> sorry, uh, and she tries to reinvent herself as a private detective, and then, and then something happens, and and her world is then turned upside down again, um, and and that's sort of the beginnings of what it is that we're exploring, uh, and uh, you know, and. and what Christian That's Ritter has achieved, and 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 when people see David Tennant as Kilgrave, it's you know it it has it's a different kind of of pure joy, uh, as I like to say, as what what Vincent D'Onofrio brought to Wilson Fisk. Um, yeah, but it, it is it's the kind of storytelling that uh, that gets me very excited, and the kind of casting that gets me very excited. I, you know, I think Mike Colton when when people you know, get a load of him as Luke Cage, I, you know, they're just going to want to bite their arm off that it's so cool. Um, and, uh, and I don't even know what biting your arm off means. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, just to take my word for it, if you go out, you know, we, we got very lucky because, uh, you know, in the last week um, we, we showed the first two episodes to, to Bendis and, you know, and he took the social media and, and, 
and just gave it, you know, the most glowing praise in the world. And, and, you know, for, for Fitzgerald to, to like a, a, a Gatsby movie, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think we've, we've really achieved something. And yes, Brian, if you're listening to this, I just compared you to F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> Without the booze. Exactly. <laughs> but still, Zelda's there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, I'm talking to him in a couple of days too, so this is good. I'm like making my my full on Marvel assault. You know, where it's like, yeah, you know, wait till after the con, and then and then talk to everyone. I'm like, all right, fine. And then of course he leaves, goes to sci-fi and stuff. Congratulations, Arun, on the air. I already wished him well uh, yes. with email and stuff. Good guy, good guy. And you got good, good people that have, uh, followed in his wake, good. and I appreciate them all making all this shit happen and everything. But anyway, no, I'm excited for Jessica Jones and really excited for Luke Cage. And you know you've been you've been raving about you know the casting for a long time now, and that's that's exciting. And also, is that the next series then after Jessica Jones? Technically, all right, yes, paper. The, 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 no, the, the next one is we go right into Luke Cage. We start Luke Cage this fall. Uh, so start production on Luke yeah. Cage this fall. Yes. Wow. Holy uh, shit. And Chael Coker is our showrunner. Uh, Charles Murray uh, is is the number two on that show, and and uh, it's an extraordinary writers room and. Um, you know, there's there's still some uh, some very big announcements that we have coming on that, uh, but it's uh, it's you know it'll look Marvel, it'll look like it fits right in with all of those other shows, um, but it, it'll feel differently, you know, in the same kind of way that that you know you'll get two episodes into Jessica Jones and you'll go. This is kind of like Daredevil, and then it's nothing like Daredevil, and and yet I can't stop watching it. And you know, and, and we've talked about how you know we set out to make uh, you know a crime with Daredevil. We set out to make a crime drama first and a superhero show second. With Jessica Jones, we set out to make a psychological thriller first, and then a uh, a superhero show second. And interesting, know, a, a, a lovely. You know, people will see comparisons to to films that were made, you know, particularly in the '80s, uh, that where where the female and protagonist is is put in a, in in a, in jeopardy in a way that that is not um, a woman in distress, but in fact she's the hero of the story who's who has to, as we were talking about at the beginning of this interview, you know, has to rise above her own uh foibles her own you know character uh inefficiencies um and and again if you've read alias the the comic under which uh Jessica Jones is based um we we don't hold back i mean I, there's you know she is she is a very damaged woman uh who by the end of the series will have to make some really really hard choices as to how she's going to Get out of this mess that she's in. Well, I'm in, I'm intrigued to see Kristen. Is it Kristen or Kirsten? Uh, it's Reddit? Kristen. It is Kristen. Man, Kristen. I no, I've, I've been a fan ever since she started popping up on uh, that sitcom where she was the bitch in Apartment Two or whatever the hell yes. it was called exactly. and everything. But yeah, uh, she. But you know, I, I mean, I think her turn as Jane on 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 Breaking Bad has has a tremendous following. Sure. Um, you know, <laughs> it really is a it it's a you know as they like to say it's a tour de force. You know Rachel Taylor, who plays Trish Walker, uh, who you know people will know from the comics as Patsy, and and what we did 
uh, with that character. I, you know, that's another place where the world has grown. Uh, you know, and who would have thought that, you know, you know, Patsy Walker, the character from, from 1950s, you know, romance comics the fe- is, the female is, Archie is, knockoff, is, yes. is, is running around, you know, I, you know, as Jessica Jones, <laughs> best friend, um, and, and how that's worked out and, and how, how her own backstory ties into the rest of the Marvel television universe. And, and, and that's just awesome. That's uh, excellent. And I, and I didn't realize Trish Walker was Patsy Walker. Shame on me. Cause well, there you go. And we could connect the dots and, and have a feeling that another, another hero either has passed or merged. So that's fantastic. I love, Oh, that's good, man. I, I liked Catherine Nimmerman's uh, Patsy Walker comics of the last couple of years. Yeah, no, they've, they've been awesome. Very, very cool. And she did a great job on the uh on the uh Shield, on the Agent Carter uh stuff yes, as well. Absolutely. As did as did Wade with his uh his Shield No, Wade's having Wade's having a lot of fun with the Shield cast. That's that's uh you know, and again that's part of the fun is is that now now those characters are now appearing in the Marvel universe, so they get to run around with uh all sorts of and and, and for Clark Gregg, who's so much of a geek, uh, you know, he's just Delighted that you know Coulson's going to be Deadpool, and you know, I, <laughs> come on, it just gets better. Is uh, we got time to talk Cap White real fast? Uh, sure. I you know here's here's the good news. It's done. Um, I, I know there's doubters <laughs> online. I've seen them where they said, "Oh yeah, well we're going to buy the first issue, and then we have to wait another eight years for issue two. No, it's done. Um, I uh, the artwork's beautiful. I you know. Oh, huge shout out to Dave Stevens who uh, colored Timmy's uh, ink wash, uh, and uh, and of course my good luck charm Richard Starkings, uh, who's been with us yes. really from the very beginning, um, and who uh, you know I, I can't talk enough about how uh, you know the the use of lettering in comics. Uh, really does affect the way the story is told. It it, it is for all intents and purposes the 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 sound mix of what it is that you're building and and if mm-hmm. if you understood film uh, the way that filmmakers do you know I, sound and music are everything in terms of delivering on a scene and you can change a performance uh in in the mix in a ways that that people are absolutely astonished by um and I can just tell you that that Richard has the ability by by simply you know, making the choice to move a balloon out of a panel into the next panel and then leaving the panel that it was originally written to be silent. It, it's that kind of, you know, orchestration uh, of my words that, uh, you know, I'm so grateful to have him be part of this. That's really cool. You know, I just, on my last episode, uh, had Arlen Schumer on talking about an old DC letterer, Irish Schnapp. Mm-hmm. And, and really focused mostly on on his logo work and the various iconic logos that he helped create and everything. But you know that's the thing. It's I've always lacked that kind of right way to talk to a letterer. And I've had Richard on and I've had Iliopoulos on. That's about it as far as letterers go. And and colorists too sometimes. And in fact, mentioning Dave was Dave your colorist for all the uh, color books uh, that you no, guys no, not for doing? all of them. Um, but. But Dave, uh, Dave's been on with us uh, of late. Um, okay. And certainly, um, <laughs> of, the fact that, of late. that Dave started eight years ago with us, and and, and fortunately <laughs> still could continue. And has, yeah. Uh, you know, I, 
I think, like, unlike uh, the way I feel about myself, Dave's gotten better. So, uh, you know, I think it'll it'll be pretty spectacular. <laughs> I'm psyched, man. No, I, I, you know, I loved the first issue eight years ago. And again, you guys got busy. It's okay. And and so and it didn't help that I don't. You know, Tim was working for DC, and you know, so that made it harder. And you had to wait for. I'm sure his schedule to free up, but also just his availability from a. Uh, you know, us versus them kind of standpoint and everything. So uh, that's that's cool. And I, obviously, you guys were collaborating a bit on Heroes, and he you know provide the occasional image for Heroes and stuff. He did. You know, um, I, I'm what what do you think? Like, I, I'm glad that Tim is able to kind of finish his story. And I know that uh, you know you you left uh, Heroes midway through, and you know, uh, but it's. I watched you and Jonah talk about the beginning of Heroes, and I know you you pointed to the movies as really being the start. But Heroes was a, 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 its own game changer when it when it debuted and showed that a mass audience would come back to a weekly thing in a way that you know obviously just the opportunity wasn't there from a film standpoint. But it, you know, I, I and I agree with you that Smallville. You said this in in uh, in your conversation with Jonah had had a was in a very very important step as well but it was an evolutionary step wouldn't you say heroes back then um i you know it's hard i it's very hard, hard for me to be part of something uh you know i there are people that talk about the importance of commando in terms of establishing the, the 80s action hero and and that <laughs> that there had never been up to that point the idea of mixing humor with straight ahead action and and but I look at you know I don't think Commando would have existed without 48 hours and and I know Commando okay. would not have existed without without First Blood because it, it actually was the inspiration for it I, I went to see First Blood and went oh okay uh, well that is a whole new way of looking at things um, and then it, and then for me in many ways it's cool. a western you know I mean I you know I sure. you know we were borrowing from John Wayne wherever we could so I, you know, it's 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 hard. Right, it is a western, it's, yeah, man. It's hard for me. Well, I, you know, really, you watch it. It's the Searchers. Um, it's but, the Searchers, but absolutely, but, that's good. Uh, but you know, again, I, you know, when I'm personally involved in something, as I was with with Heroes and 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 with Smallville and and those kinds of things, it's much easier for me to be able to say, you know. No, you have to look at Spider-Man. You have to look at at the movies that were doing it of the time than it is for me to be in it and and be able to say, oh yeah, no, the the universe changed because you know I happen to be standing there. Um, I I just don't know how to do that. I you know if 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 there are you know moments along the way, like like for me, it's there are. There are real evolutions in in animation that I can point to, and when I point to them, you know, I I see different people being involved, and so it's it's really clean. You know, Batman animated for me changed the way that that superhero action stories were going to be told, and so Absolutely. you know, I, Alan Burnett and and Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski changed the way that those things are, and. I know that Bruce gets a lot of the credit for it, but if you read the Chip Kid Batman book, you see how much credit Bruce gives to Radomski. And so when Radomski and I started working on Buffy Animated, it was the beginning of a new partnership and, and someone who saw animation with an eye 
that was different than the way that that really up until that time Hanna Barbera had sort of you know and to a lesser extent what the people at Warner Brothers were doing because they were they were more into the Looney Tunes world than they were into the action adventure world so it was really mm-hmm. Hanna Barbera that was making those shows um, and they were you know the Scooby Doo's of the world um, so that you know to then have that turned on its ear again um, and I wish that that we had made Buffy animated because I think it would have been one of those seminal moments again. So for us to then be able to bring Eric into Marvel animation, which was the first hire that I made when I started there and have him then, you know, work his magic on, on, uh, ultimate Spider-Man and, and then see the things that he's done with, you know, Hulk and the age of smash and, and, uh, and Marvel's, Avengers Assemble, and and now you know this fall we're going to get to see Guardians of the Guardians. Galaxy, yeah, um, and and you know none of that would have been possible without the success of the feature films, but by the same token it wouldn't have been possible either without Eric's vision and without that seminal moment happening back with Batman animated. So, I again I I don't know how to address I've I've deftly avoided answering your question. Um, because I don't know how to answer those things when I was there at the time and, okay. and shifts in pop culture are things that, that happen. It's, you know, like it's, to me, it's, it's, it's like trying to explain what happened when, you know, the image founders worked at Marvel, when Todd and Jim and Rob, uh, you know, really redefined comics in a way that, hadn't happened since Stan and Jack and Steve Ditko had and, you know, where the artist suddenly became the star and the way to lay out a page became something that was, was extraordinary. And the artwork became something that, you know, and again, I don't think any of those people exist without the the changes that Neil Adams and Jim Steranko brought to the game again. Mm -hmm. Um, So nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, but there are there are certainly moments where where the wheel turns, and so people like to look at those moments where the wheel turns and go, that was the thing that changed everything. And I look at it as no, that was a moment where you know the the doomsday clock clicked one more tick towards midnight, um, and and whether or not that clock was 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 set way back at you know, an hour before or whether it was four minutes above, that's where people can always try to, you know, figure out where pop culture comes from. And I, I think okay. I mixed enough metaphors there that what I just said makes no sense whatsoever. So Well, but I no, but I kind of I, I, I can put it all together and understand it. There's a hero's answer in there somewhere. Well, and it also makes me want to want to uh, interview uh, Eric at some point because, I you know, the, these are the things that I don't know. That I, I should, and, I, and I'd love to get his idea. He's a, he's a, what, a great raconteur. I mean, I, you know, and and also an extremely funny guy. Uh, awesome. But but when he talks about, uh, you know, those days when they were making Batman, and 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 how, you know, the people at Warner Brothers just I literally had no idea what they were doing. They were just sort of like, okay, go ahead, and and they were just running around making television shows, um, you know, mostly because. Uh, you know, it was something to have on in the afternoon to sell toys. Uh, and, sure. Um, and 
that world has gone. You know, there's no Saturday morning. There's no, you know, come home from school and watch cartoons anymore. Um, and so, you know, it's it's being able to find those guys and those storytellers and, and see what they're doing. And the fact that Batman Animated suddenly reached an adult audience, reached a college audience in a way that, that hadn't been happening uh, up until that point, it, it really did fracture the way that, that, uh, that people told those stories uh, and, and grounded them in a way that uh, hadn't been done before. And so, you know, I, yeah, Eric's great at that. So has, and this dovetails into another part of what you do with Marvel Animation and stuff, has the reason for cartoons changed? Because as you say, it was to sell the toy. And a lot of shows, good shows, were canceled because either, I, I, as, as recently as I understood it, as Green Lantern on Warner Brothers, because they had a line of toys they were trying to sell. And granted, the movie bombed too, and maybe that had more to do with it. But yeah, what is... Beyond, you know, we want entertainment and you want exposure for the IP, is there a we're selling the toy, you know, thought as much now in animation as before? And if not, what is in its place? Uh, it's certainly something that, that goes hand in hand. But I think more than anything, you know, particularly now that we're part of the Disney organization, you know, what Disney is extraordinary at is being able to take a look at your IP and and see whether or not you can stretch it beyond the boundaries that even the people that held the IP thought about it. And so whether it's Pixar or it's Star Wars or it's ESPN or it's Marvel, you know, I, the folks at Disney have an extraordinary ability to be able to say, have you thought about whether or not this will work at a preschool level? Have you thought about whether or not this will work at a, you know, a four to 10 level? Have you, is there a way to make this work for tweens? Is there a way to make this work for teenagers? How do you expand your brand to a place where you're getting, you know, a, what they now refer to as a four quadrant audience, which is, you know, men, women, teenagers, and children. And, and the idea that, Marvel, which, you know, yes, we're, we're a company that dates all the way back into the 1940s and, and, and had its resurgence 50 years ago, you know, I, and, you know, I guess we just had our 75th anniversary. I, you know, it's still such a young company. You know, I, I, you know, Iron Man was only in 2008. It's 2015. And so in, in seven years to have created, you know, a film and television and animation department that didn't exist at all um, and and be able to have that reach as wide as it is and then to have the, the, the Disney machinery underneath it to be able to now get into areas, now we're getting into a whole new thing, which is the, the emergence of China and the emergence of the international market and, and how you're seeing films that, that used to be, I mean, I remember that it was, it was always, you know, if you were lucky 50, 50, but more than likely it would be 75% of your box office would be domestic and 25% would be international. That number's flipped now. Uh, and, and you're now seeing where, where 75% of your audience can come from, you know, the world. And, and now there, there's a chance depending upon how many films, because it, there's a limit in terms of the number of films that can open in China. Um, 
is that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, a country that has roughly, you know, a, a gigantic proportion of the population of the entire planet being able to see your piece of entertainment, it, it's a complete game changer. I mean, it, it now becomes, you know, one of those things where while you don't cater to that market, you recognize the value of that market and that ability to be able to have that many more eyeballs added into the mix. And I think that's another thing that that Shield does not get enough credit for. It is a gigantic hit around the world. Um, you know, it's that's one great. of those shows where, you know, it translates beautifully uh, because it, it's a very easy to understand concept. Um, and it also has a look from a production point of view, uh, and, and I'm very proud of our, of Mark Kolpak and his team getting Emmy nominated again for the second season. Um, you know, I, if you travel and you get to look at television that's made around the world, I, you know, it is one of the great exports that, that America makes. Uh, you know, Indeed. we really do make, you know, you know, there's, I, I'm not going to argue that, that there aren't shows, you know, in Great Britain that, that are extraordinary and fun. And we started this by talking about Sherlock and how brilliant that show is. Um, you, but they make six of them. Try making 22 right. of those. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, and I was very involved. I was trying to bring, uh, this show over there called primeval. I, you know, I was very involved with trying to bring that show to the United States. Um, and, uh, and still think that it would work. Uh, and you know, that rest world. Why not? Absolutely. man. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, (laughs) it's, it, to me, it was CSI Jurassic park. Um, exactly. and, Absolutely. and, you know, the, the, the notion that, that, that we can still make shows, uh, and as many of them as we do, um, you know, cause it's still, it's an extraordinary amount of time to fill, you know, 18 hours of, of one hour programming, um, you know, throughout the week on, on four different networks, you know, you're talking about you know, something like a hundred hours of, of shows when you add in, you know, your half hour sitcoms and everything else like that every week, week after week. Um, and then to be able to then try to take it into the international market where there's a limited amount, you know, you can't, they don't be, you know, there's laws and things that, that prohibit the amount of foreign product that can be shown and we would be foreign if you were going into, you know, international territories. Uh, and so, you know, you get lucky every now and then. And you get a show like S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, where people, you know, no matter where they are in the world, want to see the show. So, you know, good on us. That's fantastic, man. That's huge. And, yeah, I no, I – this is an exciting time, and it's – been really a pleasure to you know kind of be ringside and hear your observations and Joe's observations and Bendis as well because you guys are there while all this shit is happening in this new golden age of Marvel that you can take advantage of all these different platforms and really spread the IP to all these different ways and tell stories in a way that you know God you know Stan was hoping for in the 60s and 70s and stuff. And now, you know, and I'm glad he's around to see no, it. So and I'm, I'm so glad he's know. alive to be able to see it. This, that, that his, 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 his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren are, 
are uh, as alive today as he could have ever hoped for. And and you know, if you spend five minutes talking to him, he, he you know, even at 92, he, he is as smart as a whip, uh, and and is so aware of what's going on and and the the magic that he and Jack and Steve and and John Romita Sr. and Gene Cole and the list goes on and on, you know, uh, that he was able to be able to, to create and have fun with. So, it's, you know, stand the man. That's awesome, man. So um, they haven't announced yet a, a start date for Jessica? I, I'm assuming Netflix no. hasn't announced a start no, date? No, not okay. yet. Not yet. Uh, All right, so uh, that's coming. So um, she'll be... Yeah, she, she'll she'll back in uh on uh September twenty ninth. Cool. Um uh Carter will be back uh early next year. Um and uh they haven't given us a hard date there. Um uh you know, Jessica up next, Luke after that, Fist after that. Um, you know, who knows what other surprises we may have. Uh there's certain things I that are good and I can't talk about. Um, but, uh, all I can tell you is, is that, you know, in a very short amount of time, we went from having no shows to one show to seven shows. Um, and, <laughs> and I can, I can just tell you that, that I would not be surprised if the number 10 is something that people hear about shortly. Wow. Holy shit. That's fantastic, man. No, that's great. And seriously, and I said this off the air, nice going. I, I'm thrilled that you are, that this is happening for you. Uh, you've always been a, a good guy, and I and I appreciate your your acquaintanceship, if not friendship, and uh, that you've let me uh, hear about all this stuff because I think it's it's absolutely fascinating, and uh, you you guys are you guys are doing great, and I'm glad, and it only makes for good entertainment that we get to enjoy. I, so, and again, I you know I I want to make it absolutely clear, I, none of this happens because of me. This happens because we have an extraordinary team of people, and it starts at the top with I have in unbelievable support both creatively and in every other way, you know, from Alan Fine and Dan Buckley and Joe Casada and, and then on the ground, you know, my team, which, you know, starts with the head of production uh, for television, who's Jim Corey and uh, Kareem Zarek and uh, Megan Thomas Bradner, uh, who are in charge of development and production uh, on, the, on the day-to-day of it all. And, you know, and then there's just, I, the the list goes on and on and on, and you know Sam Thomas and and Emma Fleischer and uh, Tom Lieber and uh, Tasha Crawford, and and I'm going to start to forget people, and so I I will stop, and I probably stopped a moment too soon. Um, so uh, you know it's just an extraordinary group of folks who uh, are are working all day Sunday so that they can be ready for all day Monday, and and uh, that kind of of passion is what they bring to uh each of the shows and and i think it shows in the in the everybody that's working on them and and in the storytelling that's done and and all we're trying to do is to tell good stories and and we're really glad that people seem to be responding to it and all we can do is keep doing it and are you, and you're still i mean is it is it fun i know it's I know it's a lot of work, and I know you even had conflu, and you're, I don't know how you're feeling today. But I needed it. I needed a week to snap back. I, uh, I I'm better now. Well, I, if you, hopefully, you can edit out all this coughing that I'm doing. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, I, it, look, it, it is. Uh, it, I, I've said it often. It, it is not hard work. Hard work is what the guys do. When I see the guys out on the 405 oh, yeah. filling in holes, 
Here, here. Uh, uh, that's Some hard roofers. work. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, what we do is extremely challenging and, and never ending. Um, and, uh, and that's part of, uh, the fun of it. I, it, it is always worth it to hear the kind of compliments that, that you've, uh, given during this interview. Um, and it's certainly worth it when, uh, you know, I, you go to San Diego and, and, you know, the line is a mile long and there's 6,000 people that show up for the panels and, and, um, you know, they, they, want to play along and they want to uh tell you how much the shows mean to them and the number of of men and women you know who came up to during the signings and and literally broke down crying because meeting Haley or meeting Clark was so important to them uh in terms of their day-to-day lives uh you know that's when it's all worth it i you know everything else is just you know trying to get it done um but uh when when you can actually you know see what the shows mean to the folks who watch it um and how important fans have always been to marvel um and to see that 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 group expand and expand and expand uh, because we're in a different medium and we happen to be a small part of that it's thrilling and that part will always will always be the best part i you know every time i sign a marvel comic i say the same thing which is you know, and when people say thank you for writing the story, I look at them and I say, uh, you know, I thank you for buying the comic because it's a partnership. If you don't do what you do, I can't do what I do. And and it's the same thing goes with the television series. If if we didn't have the the big audiences that we have and and the loyal followings that we have and the and the kinds of people who show up at conventions and who make our actors and our writers and our in our crews. Uh, and, and everyone who works on the shows um, feel the way they do. We wouldn't be able to do anything. And uh, and, and so I, this is a good place to end. As any is is a way of the way to started, which is to say thank you to everybody. Absolutely, man. No, that was mostly it was- to say thank you to the people at Stinky Productions who made sure that I could find time on my Sunday in order to talk to John. Uh, on another incredible episode of Word Balloon. Thanks so much. Be here next week because we're going to be able, Stinky Productions is going to present somebody that up until this point has never actually been on a podcast. It's the first premiere of anybody ever having talked on a podcast. It's exciting. It's daring. It's different. It's pure stinky. That is that is really kind of always one of my favorite parts of our conversation is your wrap up. So I appreciate that. Man. Nice going. And there he goes. All right, I know he he always likes to do the wrap up for me, but uh, we're not done. We got another great interview for you right now on Word Balloon, and I'm happy to welcome back Greg Pock. Greg was just on a couple of weeks ago because uh, he participated in the uh, podcaster panel at San Diego, and it was great getting his perspective on uh, how podcasts have helped him as a creator, not just promoting his work for DC or Marvel, but also a lot of his creator own works as well. And uh, Greg is a uh, filmmaker as well. We talk about that. But uh, in the forefront, he's got a Kickstarter campaign that's going on right now, ABC Disgusting, and uh, also uh, a great Western that'll be coming out from Dark Horse that looks beautiful and sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. 
And uh, we talk about that, uh, his Hulk series that will be debuting uh, post-Secret Wars, and, of course, his current work on Superman for Action Comics and Batman Superman. So, pleasure to welcome back Greg Pak for a nice, lengthy conversation now on Word Balloon. He, uh, he did me a solid a couple weeks ago showing up to the podcast panel when I was completely afraid that we were going to have a conversation amongst ourselves. And uh, I'm very happy to have uh, Greg Pak back uh, to talk about the uh, the closing days of a Kickstarter campaign and also marvel at the fact that two weeks post-San Diego, the man is at another show. Uh, <laughs> we're talking right after you, you did a, a library show, another library show. Yeah, I had a great time. I just uh, – yeah, and thank you, by the way, for uh, – Yeah, welcome back. Man. No, a pleasure to be here as always. Um, uh, so, yeah, I did a, a show at the Kennett Square Library in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, and uh, and uh, and it was fantastic. Uh, the show was run by kids at the library, uh, teenagers, and uh, so there were you know the panels were moderated by kids who were awesome and really well prepared. And uh, I mean, it was a, it was a um, the, it's just a great uh, a great library. Uh, they've got these amazing programs. Uh, my uh, my friend Ivy uh, is a librarian there, and uh, okay. invited me out. And uh, so I was one of the guests. Also, Brooke Allen, uh, artist of Lumberjanes, was there, and oh, cool. uh, yeah. yeah, and a couple other and a, a few other guests, including uh, uh, comics people Luke Foster and Sean Dillon. And uh, it was just a ton of fun. Uh, lots of families, lots of kids. I was on a uh, panel about um, comics for kids, and the uh, audience was like a third kids, you know, which is actually kind of unusual to actually have little kids at a panel discussion and everything. So, yeah, man, it was, uh, no, it was a you know, ton of fun. When Art, when Art and Franco would do their comics for kids panels, they're always like, you know, ah, kids, you know, they don't care, you know, about like the stuff that like, you know, the dry stuff that sometimes we want to get into the inside baseball of comics and stuff. So I'm always, yeah, interested in terms of like, yeah, what do you do to keep the kids, ex- you know, engaged? I think the good news is you've got, you know, you've got a couple things that obviously are up their alley in terms of the Kickstarter and that. But yeah, please tell me what, what you talked about. Yeah, well, I mean, we we definitely did talk inside baseball about like, you know, the, the sort of the business of comics and, and in particular the you know, the fact that kids comics um, are selling like crazy in the book market and still a bit of a challenge in the direct market, but that the trends are looking good and there's, you know, that the, there's tons of great stuff out there. Um, and uh, but, yeah, I was I was I was lucky, I guess, because uh, I was out there um, uh, talking about my new book, ABC Disgusting, uh, which is uh, a. <laughs> An alphabet book about disgusting things, uh, drawn by the great Takeshi Miyazawa and uh, colored by Jessica Colleen and lettered by Simon Boland. That's the same team, uh, art team, behind uh, the other books I'd done uh, as Kickstarters, Princess Who Saved Herself and Code Monkey Save World, which were Jonathan Colton's collaborations. So um, but uh, so I was able to, you know, like while I was talking about the dry stuff I, <laughs> on the uh, on the screen, I was projecting images, disgusting images of farting cockroaches and whatnot. And uh, <laughs> So the, so the kids had had amusing things to uh, to occupy themselves with. I'm looking at your Kickstarter. You got a kid with his finger up his nose. Yes. And the caption, of course, is "I can tell you could get. I bet you can guess what S stands yes, for." Exactly. Yes, it did. <laughs> We're going. All right, which is which is perfect. Exactly. This is what the this is what the kids want, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. I mean, it's. Uh, 
Yeah, like the book is, um, I, I mean, the book is just because it's fun. You know what I mean? Like I was thinking about, I wanted to do another kid's book, and uh, this one came to mind just because I remembered all of, you know, like being a kid and laughing at all kinds of stuff, uh, and particularly, you know, just gross stuff. I mean, I think this it's it's very funny um, how kind of innocent that kind of humor is and, and how funny it still is. I mean, let's, you know, let's admit it. That kind of stuff is hilarious. Farting is funny. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say hey, it. Man. I was watching Blazing Saddles a couple hours before our talk and got right to the bean scene with the cowboys all sitting around the campfire <laughs> farting. So you're, and that's exactly what Mel Brooks would say: "Is I don't care how old you are, farting is funny." <laughs> exactly, and and so, uh, and you know, and and the kind of funny thing is that um, you know there are educators and people a lot smarter than me that have thought about this, and uh, these kinds of books are actually valuable. For reluctant readers, you know what I mean. Like there are kids, yes. kids who are just not that interested in reading. Um, but if you give them something like this, maybe they're going to pick it up. Maybe they'll read it. Uh, uh, you know, you know, it's 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 always. I mean, that's always the case, right? If you if something's a little bit naughty, it's more likely to get some attention. And once a kid is reading, a kid is reading, and all good things come from reading. So uh, so if you've got a Reluctant reader in the house, go to abcdisgusting.com. That will take you to the uh, Kickstarter, and uh, and you can back it. We've just got a few days left. It ends on, um, I think, at noon on Wednesday, the 29th, noon Eastern time. Uh, so uh, so get on in there. Cool. All right, good. And, uh, you know, this is coming out on Monday, so okay. there are still a couple days left. Yeah. And, uh, and Takeshi's uh, style of R2, I think – is great because sometimes, and I mean, I can only speak for myself, but sometimes the gross humor is drawn in a gross manner. Yeah. But he really does have this nice, very clean, uh, you know, style that I think, you know, parents won't like blanch at and also is still cute and funny and sweet enough that, that kids will still like Yeah, I mean, the idea is, is to be gross, but not to be, uh, n- not to literally make people vomit. You know what I mean? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, um, you know, Tak is just fantastic at doing this kind of. Uh, I, I mean, it's adorable at the same time. It's it's gross, you know. And I think that it, it, he's just the perfect person to draw this. I'm so thrilled. It was, you know, it's kind of funny because we actually went through a little, um, uh, you know, we we took some time to kind of figure out the best style because Tak um, generally draws a little bit more realistically than. Uh, I mean, he we're, he's doing this book in a slightly more cartoony style than usual, um, and. Uh, and, and and we kind of came upon that after realizing that the, the, the slightly more realistic style in this particular case was less funny, you know, um, and, uh, and and his cartoony style has such energy and dynamism. I mean, it's just a ton of fun. So uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just I'm thrilled. I'm, I, I just love the way this thing is coming together. You're getting to your stretch goals. Um, you've reached uh, the super stickers. Yes, so we supersize the stickers. If you get a. So uh, yeah, we our our initial goal was twenty four thousand, uh, and and then we hit the twenty six thousand stretch goal, which lets us make all the stickers six by nine. Like so, you get a nice big six by nine sticker sheet with peel off stickers. Um, among the stickers, by the way, the talk drew for that. I, I you know he sent a bunch of little images of funny little gross things, bugs and whatnot. And I looked at this one thing and I was like. That's that's an ice cream cone, but that's not ice cream in that cone because there are flies buzzing around it. Ugh. Yeah, he drew a poo cone. He drew yeah. a poo cone a with a little smiley face on it, a smiling oh, poo cone. That, that sounds worse than the $28,000 stretch goal, although I wouldn't want to eat a banana with ketchup. Oh, yes. and, it yes. like if you guys, and you guys are closing in on yeah. that. So, uh, we're, getting, we're just $300 away from uh, – 
$320 away, even as we speak, from me having to uh, uh, eat, uh, uh, have a bite of banana with ketchup. Uh, we're doing, you know, we're, we're going whole, you know what? I, I don't care. I'm shameless. I will do whatever it takes. And, uh, if what it takes is to, uh, make a spectacle of myself and eat some banana with ketchup on it in order to get people to back this book, that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, after I said I was going to do that, then, uh, uh, like different members of the team were like, Hey, I'll do that. So, uh, so, <laughs> so Jessica and talk. And also Jane Louie are all going to eat banana with uh, with ketchup on it if we hit that goal. Jane, Charming. Jane Louie, by the way, is this great musician, singer-songwriter. She's tremendous. And uh, if we hit 30,000, she's going to record an ABC Disgusting theme song. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're going, we're going big. And then, um, oh, hey, do you want to break some news? Please. Uh, if we hit, <laughs> if we hit 40,000, uh, uh, Tak and I are going to make a whole nother book and, uh, uh, digitally and give it to backers. Um, uh, it's going to be a chapter book and we finally have nailed down just today. We nailed down our title. It's going to be called Kaiju Clubhouse. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, and it uses the same characters from ABC Disgusting, this brother and a sister. Um, uh, and, uh, but they're gonna, they're, they're gonna have some, uh, trouble with giant monsters. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so Kaiju Clubhouse, you heard it here first. So, wow. We, All right. That's cool. Cause yeah, it's up there as another book, but now we got a little, a little bit of detail of what that book would exactly. be. Exactly. Man. So, uh, how many pages is, uh, ABC Disgusting in it? It's, uh, planned for 36 pages. Uh, okay. And actually, you know, and, and it's, I, I mean, Ta, I, I just love work, working with Taki. He's so excited about this. And um, he, before we even hit our actual funding goal, before we knew that we were actually going to be funded, he, he was just drawn like crazy. He drew, he's drawn half the book already. Um, I, I think there's an excellent chance we're going to be able to deliver it sooner than we, uh, than we're promising here. Like, uh, I mean, knock on wood, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't even say that. <laughs> I should just hedge my bets. But, um, I mean, we're promising to mail, uh, mail the books in, to ship the books in December. You know, the hope is that we get them to people before the holidays. Um, but, sure. uh, but I, I mean, given how fast talk's been drawing and, uh, I, I think that there's a great chance we'll be able to deliver before then. Are libraries on board? Are they part of the back? Um, I I don't I don't think any actual libraries are on board. I know that there are some a couple of comic shops have backed. We've got a, yeah we've got some rewards of like you can get basically ten books for a, a steep discount, and uh, so that's for I mean it's perfect for resellers. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I've, yeah, comic shops have been awesome. I mean, they, uh, we had a number of comic shops back the code monkey project back when, and also the princess who saved herself project. Uh, you know, eventually I want to get all these books distributed through diamond. Uh, I've been, I've been, uh, I submitted, so knock on wood that that'll eventually happen too. That's a little, little, little inside baseball there. Diamond is the, for anybody who doesn't know, diamond is the uh, distributor that distributes to comic book stores, book distributor. Yeah, but this is yeah, this is the place where inside baseball is welcome. Oh. And no, honestly, that's part of the yeah. This is the library panel, so you're okay. I, I don't know how many five year olds are listening. If they are, they shouldn't be because swear words are on this show. So <laughs> your 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 parents are terrible parents if they're letting you hear this. Right? <laughs> What's going on? But uh, no, honestly, I do want to know. Um, first of all, from the comic book store standpoint. Um, is it getting easier? Are there more stores that really are catering to kids? My buddies, uh, Art and Franco, yeah, they're great, uh, and, and and Mark and Mike Nagan. You know, they uh, they have now opened up the third Aya Comics store in New York as we're recording. Yeah. Uh, they're having their big uh, grand opening this weekend, 
and uh, in New York. In Harrison, I want to say Harrison, New York, nice. and and so you know, and I you know obviously, uh, and Mark Wade and Christie are running the Muncie store, so so they're friends. Also, my buddies uh, at Challengers Comics in Chicago, they have a healthy kids section as well. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, hey, tell me, like as as actually a creator, and you're catering to this market, do you find that there are more stores, and are you finding more uh, kids friendly stores? Oh yeah, I mean, every time I go visit a store, I mean, you know, I, I think for the past. Five or six years, every store that I've gone to has had a kids section and has, you know, been working on, you know, uh, improving that kids section. Um, you know, and different stores have different clientele. So some stores uh, are, you know, like it, it, it's harder for them to get that kid audience just because of the sure. demographics of their neighborhood or whatever. But um, but a lot of stores do extremely well with it uh, and have really great. I mean, I. I if I'm remembering correctly, the Dragon's Lair in Austin has almost like a little play area for kids. You know, uh, it's it's like a you know with with like um, you know with fun carpeting and all that kind of stuff. And, sure. Um, and then uh, actually, just when I was in at this uh, this this library event today, uh, Sarah was there from the comic book shop from Wilmington, and it's called the Comic Book Shop, and uh, it's a great great store. And I've, I've done a signing there, and, and they're just incredibly supportive. But um, you know, but she's she wants Princess to save herself. You know, she's got an audience for it. So uh, uh, you know, she we were talking about that, and uh, you know, there are definitely a lot of stores out there. I think that are doing very well with kids. I mean, and, I mean, comic stores. I mean, it's funny because I think the uh, kids books have are generally bought by parents, right? And mm-hmm. yeah. parents who are buying books for kids are usually going to traditional bookstores instead of comic book stores to do that, you know? So, and, you know, I think the bulk of those smile book, you know, like the, the Rania Telgemeier book, I'm, I'm pronouncing her last name, right? Um, that sounds right, but so, I'm not certain either. But uh, I, you know, but, I mean, she's a superstar. She has sold more books than any of us. You know, she's amazing. And, uh, and, but I think the vast bulk of those books are being sold through bookstores. Uh, you know, sure. those graphic novels of hers. Um, uh, you know, definitely those are in comic, in, you know, good, smart comic book stores also stock those books. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think comic book stores have to work a little harder to get parents in, you know, to, for parents to know that they can come there and, and buy books. But I think that gets better every day, you know, for, for, because, because so many stores are working hard at that. And on the bookstore side, are you talking to any of the major publishers, and are you trying to, with your, you know, books like this, uh, trying to to get, you know, gigs to do more things, or are you content with, you know, doing them on your own? I know you're having decent success doing yeah, it this way. Well, so you- we had like unbelievable success with the princess book. Uh, I mean, that that just hit a, uh, you know, hit an incredible vibe and just just went, you know, through the roof, um, uh, and. Uh, at the same time, you know, I I would love to get those distributed more widely, just because I want more people to get them. You know, um, right? Because like, well, a when did that when did that Kickstarter end, and how many how many books did you end up making? Yeah, th- so that Kickstarter finished in man, I can't even remember now. Was that March? No, I, I think we did the Kickstarter. That Kickstarter was yeah, I think it was late March that that ended. We shipped the books in, March of this year. Yeah, okay. We shipped those books in June, uh, and we wow, shipped great. something. Yeah, we shipped something like uh, four thousand five hundred. I think was the wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, that's terrific. <laughs> Holy shit, for a Kickstarter, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it was a tr- yeah. I mean, we had amazing backers. I mean, the other thing that was awesome about it is that we had so we had something like three thousand something backers, but we you know, but they bought. 
4,000 something books. Right, right. bundles. Yeah, yeah, much like you were just talking about the stores and yeah. stuff. So that's terrific. Um, and so, and also just individual people will often buy multiple books because, you know, like, uh, you know, like there's uncles and aunts buying them for Absolutely. multiple children, multiple small children. Uh, and, uh, you know, kids books actually, I think they hit sort of a sweet spot in that regard. People will often buy multiple copies of those books uh, as gifts. But uh, that makes sense. But uh, but yeah, you know, so that in and of, of itself, I mean, that, that that the book has already done better than a lot of books put out by, you know, mainstream publishers. At the same time, of course, we want it to get out more. So I, you know, I, we're definitely looking at some options there. I'm I'm uh, I, I I'm not at liberty to disclose exactly who we're talking to or what's happening. But I would, you know, I'm definitely hoping to get that into bookstores. Also, and you know, th- there's also that um, that uh, the there's always the option of of selling it through Amazon just as an independent seller. Uh, Absolutely. It certainly opens the doors. Of course, that involves a, 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 a pretty a, a long-term fulfillment solution, you know, uh, but that's not... In terms of, like, how, how many years they have the rights to... No, to no, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, like, in terms of, uh, uh, like, <laughs> and I'm learning this as I go, but... Yeah. Like if you're going to sell books through Amazon, you have to agree to uh, ship those books within, I think, 48 hours of receiving the orders. Uh, and that's not something I'm going to do out of my, you know, out of my, you know, out of my office. Uh, sure, sure. And so I, I, you know, I need to uh, to partner or, you know, find a fulfillment house that can do that and that, that can make that affordable. There's also I mean, Amazon also has a set uh, um, shipping fee for all books. You know what I mean? So. Right, uh, right. So, you know, I got to kind of work the economics of it. And it's pretty low because they need to keep that low in order to make it, you know, uh, to, to make it attractive. Uh, Understood. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but but then that that um, that means that that shipping fee doesn't generally cover the actual costs of shipping and fulfillment. Um, uh, so. Uh, uh, so that's you know so I'd have to work out. right you got to you'd have to figure out a price yeah. that would be you know yeah that would cover that cost and everything sure man no this is again man this is why you know Kickstarter has been amazing but it it itself presents its own problems and then self publishing presents its own problems and you know as much information as I you know get from you guys and and again I don't want to like you know I'm not the IRS I'm not asking you to open your books but by the same token no if you can if you can share that information I know there are a lot of creators that are you know considering these options and that's why it's such an interesting time I mean this is something that we covered on the podcast panel it's such a great time for I think you guys at, where there is opportunity to make your own stuff and and get it out to an audience and stuff and 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 be able to you know, make enough of a profit where you guys could really do this and, and explore what you want to do for a living uh, without necessarily partnering up with, you know, the, the the standard traditional ways that people have had to do books for decades. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I would love to uh, sort of, you know, turn it over to <laughs> to somebody else to handle this this aspect of it. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, you know, with all of these, it comes down to looking at the individual project Seeing, sure. seeing what makes sense for it. Um, you know, like these projects began as uh, partnerships with Jonathan Colton and um, you know, <laughs> singer songwriter Jonathan Colton. And uh, like the Princess Book and also Code Monkey are based on his songs. And mm-hmm. Jonathan has this great fan base that he has developed over many years. And when we started this thing off, we just, these just made total sense as Kickstarter projects, you know, that they were, that, that, uh, through, you know, through Jonathan's, uh, social networks, we, we kind of had this direct link 
to the main uh, niche that would seem to want these th- this stuff and uh, yeah, so, cult and audience yeah. and everything that he's cultivated that love his music and products derived from his yeah. music and, and and it kind of worked. I mean, it worked even far better than we ever dreamed it would. You know what I mean? That the, those those folks were just ready for it, and then it it spread beyond that. And and uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, both these projects have been have been great and and kickstarter was absolutely the right choice for them uh you know kickstarter is not necessarily going to be the right choice for every other project that i work absolutely you know like like i'm working right now on a uh on a uh book called kingsway west which is yes a dream. the west yeah exactly it's a it's a comic book it's a dream project i've had for literally 22 years it's um it's a, about a chinese gunslinger searching for his wife in an old west overrun with magic and uh, it's just, I, I mean, I guess the, uh, the the Hollywood pitch would be Once Upon a Time in the West meets Princess Mononoke. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a huge amount of fun. Mirko Kolak is drawing it. Uh, uh, Will Quintana is coloring. He, Will did uh, the coloring on Action Comics for a while and, and was just tremendous on that. And Simon Boland is lettering. Um, I'm, it, it's just... Uh, been a huge amount of fun, and it's and that I'm I'm doing with Dark Horse, so Dark Horse is publishing that. Um, now this is a project that conceivably I could have, you know, Mirko and I have been talking about it for a, lo- a long time, and conceivably we could have launched a Kickstarter, and probably, I mean, you know, who knows? You never know exactly how it's going to go, but I, I think we would have had an excellent chance of of raising, you know, uh, enough money to uh, to fund making the books, but. Um, that wasn't the I, I didn't want to do it that way, partly because I started talking to Jim Gibbons, the editor at Dark Horse. And okay. Jim just I mean, he asked me I mean, he loved the idea. He loved the project. But he asked me three or four very smart questions. And I realized, you know, and 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 the book is vastly better because of that, you know. And um, so working with an editor on this book is making it much better. Um, and also Dark Horse has been around forever and they're going to get it out into the, I mean, they're, it's a great company. They're going to get it out into the direct market. Um, they're going to, it will, uh, it will almost certainly reach more individual readers, um, as a result of being published by Dark Horse than it would have, uh, if we just done self-publishing on it. Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, like, you know, like I say, different projects have different, uh, you know, make sense, um, in different ways. And also, you know, and, and just as a, uh, you know, as a, as a creator in this day and age, I, I'm trying to a lot of different things. You know, I, I'm, I'm taking different projects out into the world in different ways just to kind of also just to see how different, uh, different systems work, you know? Um, but, uh, but no, it's, it's an exciting time. Like you said, this is a, you know, we're, we're living in a day and age where there are many different ways to get stuff out into the world and into the hands of, uh, of readers. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm excited that we have, that we have options at all, you know? Um, so, well, I'm interested in like, would you, uh, could you reveal any of the five questions that Jim asked you in terms oh, of, yeah, uh, well, the, I mean, the big thing was, okay. So I, I mean, the story that I've been working on forever, uh, and I, I, I mean, back in the day I wrote, a screenplay. When I was in film school, I wrote a screenplay called Rio Chino, uh, and it was about a Chinese gunslinger uh, uh, who um, is who comes out of prison, and he uh, he like his uh, wife 
only wants to see him if he's going to stay out of trouble. And then he, uh, uh, but he gets mixed up into trouble, of course. Um, uh, and, uh, but, and it was this kind of small indie movie that I wanted to do as my, uh, as a feature film. And it actually even won awards and, and, uh, uh, as a screenplay. Um, but uh, was ne- I was never able to uh, get it going as an actual film project. But I knew that I wanted to do something with this eventually. And uh, over the years, as I got into comics, I did a few um, short comic book stories with great artists like Ian Kim and Sean Chen, uh, just to kind of play with the character some more. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so I was working on outlines to, to do it as a uh, comic book series. And, uh, and, and, and basically I'd worked up an outline that was kind of a variation of the story that was in the original screenplay. It's not the same thing because the screenplays don't translate directly into the structure of comic books and vice versa. You have to adapt and, and find, because the beats fall in different ways. And also I'd grown as a storyteller and the story had changed. And, uh, um, but, and I was very happy with what I had come up with as this comic book pitch. And, you know, like the emotional story just resonated with me. I thought it was great, but, um, and Jim really loved it, but he said, um, you know, this is great, but what, is there one more thing, you know, that you can add to this that can kind of put it over the top? That can make people, when they hear about this, they're going to be like, oh, that's, that's what I got to get, you know? And I, and, and I thought about that and it resonated with me because what I'd done, because I'd basically taken this indie movie, the scope of this indie movie, and, uh, and turned it into a comic book series. And that's fine, but, I, over the years, have done, uh, written all these comic book series, which are more visually ambitious. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that, that, uh, I mean, I mean, I have a real attraction and affinity towards, you know, I mean, big genre hijinks and world building, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. Um, Oh yeah, World War Hulk, prime example of that, or I should say, uh, Planet yeah, Hulk. Exa- yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, like that kind of creating a whole world in Planet Hulk and everything, and um, and and the, and I realized that this project that I was working on, I mean, it had that emotional story that I was totally committed to, but the but the world that it was creating was, I mean, without even realizing it, I'd limited myself to the world that I could create as an indie filmmaker. You know what I mean? So it's kind yes. of small scale, realistic Western. Um, and, but I didn't have to be held to that. And I could, I could, I could instead, I could create a world that would be as big as the emotional story warranted. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, what I love about genre and world building is, is not just doing it for its own sake, but because the bigness of the world, the bigness of that world building, the bigness of the genre craziness matches the emotional story. You know what I mean? It's like stories about, I mean, just, I mean, this is random, but stories about like the Greek gods resonate with us because all of the big, you know, these incredible powers of the gods and the fact that, you know, like Zeus's anger is reflected in thunder and all of that. It, it, the, the, the big, the, the magic of the gods makes emotional sense to us because those emotions are big. And, um, uh, uh, you know, like our everyday 
human emotions are huge. And so when you see them played out on this huge genre, in this huge genre way, it makes emotional sense. And so with Rio Chino, I mean, well, and now the story became King's Way West, but, um, I, you know, at a certain point, I, I looked at all the elements that I was playing with, and I was like, this is a Western, but it's also a big fantasy epic. You know what I mean? Like Westerns and, mm-hmm. and like outdoor fantasy epics like Lord of the Rings and Princess Mononoke, those, they share a lot of elements. And I was like, let's just, let's do that. Let's go whole hog. Let's make this a world of magic. And, uh, and so that's, and, and that's, and, and I wouldn't have done that in that way if uh if jim hadn't just asked me that question you know uh so that's the value of having a great editor uh so so do you see this as an ongoing or is this a finite series we, that, uh, well we're planning? we're starting with four issues if it sells well i certainly hope we will do as i mean i'd love to write this thing for years you know uh okay i've got um uh i, I mean i definitely have big story ideas uh for uh, about 12 to 20 issues right now. Um, but, wow. okay. uh, uh, you know, I mean, like these, this, these first four issues are going to tell a, a great story that will be satisfying in and of itself. But if we are lucky enough that it, it resonates with folks and, and it sells well, uh, I'm, I'm hoping we can go a long time. That's great, man. And no, I, I don't blame you for partnering with uh, Dark Horse. I think they're, in the last few years in particular, they're showing that recommitment to uh, partnering with you know, big creators and letting, you know, kind of getting out of their way, letting them tell their story and giving, providing them a good platform to do it. So, you know, yeah, I think that that's a win-win. I think it solves a lot of your, your headaches and, and, you know, you guys can concentrate on just making a really good book. And, you know, yeah, I think like you said, that value of having an editor sometimes is important. Oh yeah. All, all the time. You know I mean? Like basically every, every creative project that I've worked on that's, that's good. <laughs> I've had somebody, you know, I've I've had a you know a partner, somebody who's who's been that that person who has uh, asked me the great questions and pushed me in the right direction and made me get better. You know what I mean? Like you can, I mean, you can do that for yourself, and you know we have to do that for ourselves every day as as sure. writers and or creators. But um, sure. but it's 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 just amazing when you have have somebody you know uh, a, oh, a team yeah. that's that's helping you do that. So. No, it, well, then for Code Monkey and Princess, who you know, I mean, it's 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 you and and talk, but like beyond you, I mean, did Jonathan? Yes, yeah, yeah, Jonathan was that person. Jonathan was that sounding board and that you know, like uh, yeah, yeah, when you know, like Jonathan and I would get together and bounce around ideas and uh, and you know, solve the little problems and and figure out the big things. It was yeah, so so Jonathan was that partner with uh with code monkey and princess and and of course talk you know and with abc disgusting talk and i have uh have have uh i mean abc disgusting is a project that that jonathan is not involved with it's just it's so me and talk are the are you know uh are the partners the main partners in crime there but everybody in that you know like like simon and and jessica we've worked with them so long that they're i mean it's amazing working with them so it, that, that's a, a become a well-oiled machine there. It's 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 a really great experience working with all those folks. Very cool. Well, I'm I'm interested in the, you know with all that uh, and talking about uh, editorial uh, guidance and that. How has that worked out in the Superman office? Oh, it's been great. Uh, yeah, my main editor in in the Superman office is Eddie Berganza. Um, and, uh, so I first came into DC and I, I was put on the Batman Superman book, uh, and that was in Eddie's office and it was, uh, uh, and Eddie runs the Superman office at DC and, um, and Eddie and I just talked a lot. Uh, I mean, there was a point, um, when, 
Max Landis and I had been tapped to pitch a, uh, a, a doomsday story, a big doomsday story. And um, mm-hmm. so, so we were working on that. And so I was talking with Eddie a lot about Superman and, oh, and even before that, I, I, Eddie had, um, when I was working on Batman Superman, Eddie had, uh, gotten me to do a number of the villains books that, um, that DC did one September and, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago that, that one month event where all the villains kind of took over. Exactly. Yeah. And so I did, I, and I, and I ended up doing, uh, uh, dark side and doomsday and Zod. So I did some, uh, big, uh, Man. Superman yeah. villains. And so, so I was, I was just doing a lot of thinking about Superman and eventually the action comics gig came up and I, and, and I got tapped for that. But, um, but all of this, I mean, it was kind of a, Great. It was really kind of great that I started on Batman Superman. Then I did all these kind of ancillary Superman things. And Eddie and I had a lot of time to talk about Superman, just think about it. And, and, uh, we kind of had these simpatico ideas. And so by the time I, Action Comics rolled around and I got to become the writer on Action Comics, um, we had a lot of, uh, shared understanding of this character and of, of, places this character could go it was it's uh it's been a blast and then eddie uh tapped aaron cooter the artist to work on action and um and aaron and i hit it off immediately uh uh eddie also suggested again this is the power of a good editor um i i i uh i always give eddie um a detailed outline before i go to full script you know so i break down the story page by page um sometimes even panel by panel um, but usually page by page with, with pretty good detail. So you can kind of read the whole thing and understand what the whole story is about. I'm not doing all the dialogue at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, and that's just to make sure that it all works out before I, you know, uh, actually write the whole thing out. Um, and, uh, so Eddie got that. I sent that outline to Eddie. Eddie was like, this is great. Let's just send this to Aaron and let, and let Aaron, uh, draw, you know, do, do the breakdowns and, and get started on the book based on this outline. And I was like, Okay. Uh, and, uh, okay. because Eddie knew that Aaron is a great storyteller. I mean, Aaron's a writer as well. Uh, and, um, and, uh, and he's, he's one of those artists that is just really fantastic with character and story. Um, and Aaron just took to that like a duck to water. He did, uh, these great layouts. And then we got on the phone, me, Eddie and Aaron, and we talked, we just talked about this thing page by page and panel by panel, looking at Aaron's layouts for like an hour um, and, uh, and then, uh, and then, um, so that by the end of that, we all knew exactly, and, you know, we, so we, you know, we did a little tweaking and problem solving and, and, uh, all as a group and came up with, you know, these solutions that I never would have come up just on my own. And, um, and then, and then Aaron drew the book and then I dialogued it after that. Um, so I'm looking at his finished art while I'm, while I'm, while I'm writing the actual dialogue. Uh, so it's kind of Marvel. It's uh, basically Marvel. Exactly. Style. Exactly. It's what they call Marvel style. Uh, you know, some people call it plot first. Some people call it Marvel style, but, and I, sure. I and I'd, I'd done this before, but this was the first time that it really worked. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it's a chemistry thing. Sometimes you, you know, you, you get the right group together and, and also it's the fact that we actually literally got on the phone and talked through it all. Um, and, and so that's the way we've been doing action. Uh, and, uh, and, and now it's to the point where Aaron and I are actually co-writing the book. So we'll, we'll talk through the plot together. I'll write it up and then, and then, and then we, you know, but, but he's involved at every level and that kind of, uh, that kind of tight collaboration has just been amazing. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I really especially like these first two post-convergence issues of action. Oh, thanks so much. And, and absolutely, man. No, I, and I really do. Cause 
I, I have to uh, be honest. I, I loved what you did with, on Batman and Superman with Jay Lee. Oh, yeah. And especially that first encounter of uh, Earth-1, Batman and Superman, and Earth-2, Batman and Superman. Right. And just kind of, you know, figuring out their worlds and stuff. And maybe it helped because you had the uh, outgoing Earth-2, you know, soon to die, <laughs> Batman and Superman. And, and so, therefore, you know, you kind of established their, their relationship um, or at least we, we, they were more of a familiar yeah. and two, two guys who had known each other a long time versus these two guys who are kind of new and not really trusting of each other yet right. and kind of, you know, learning as they go. Um, but yeah, I, um, and, and, and I'll, again, cause I know, you know, you've, you guys in the Superman office have all worked together on some big events and, and big stories. I, f- I forget how long. Uh, you and Aaron have been doing action now. Well, we started with issue 25, and we're up Okay, to, wow. Yeah. My, it's, yeah 40, 43? It's, yeah. it's coming out soon. It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah, hasn't man. it? That's okay. kind of crazy. Yeah. And I, that is, uh, yeah. That's not... No, please tell, yeah, talk, talk about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it, yeah. So, we, yeah, we've been, uh, we've been doing it for a while. And Aaron hasn't necessarily... I mean, like, there have been uh, certain issues where we've had uh, fill-in artists here and there, but Aaron's been, Aaron's been the constant throughout. Um, and has really, you know, put his, uh, yeah, I mean, he's put his stamp on that book, but, uh, it's been a, you know, phenomenally, uh, satisfying and, and, and inspiring collaboration. So, I mean, I, I, I hope to, man, I, you know, I hope I, I want to work with Aaron forever. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've been very lucky with artists, you know, I mean, I'm working with Mirko Kolak on Kingsway, Kingsway West, and he's just like, oh, I, you know, I should also mention this. It's like when, when, uh. When Jim said, you know, when Jim nudged me and then we brought magic into Kingsway West, mm-hmm. Miracle exploded. You know what I mean? Like, I, I like, oh, that's Miracle great. was always going to be the guy to draw this book. You know, I mean, once, once I, Miracle and I, we worked together on, uh, on, uh, Red Skull Incarnate. And, uh, oh, and, terrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day. And it, that's the oh, origin man. story of the Red Skull. It's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a historical no. piece. And, and Miracle just has this great, clean uh line that feels very real and it's very gritty because he brings in just like a lot of texture and 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 it feels real you know and and just yes, tremendous uh, tremendous for historically based stuff and at the same time he's got this you know great character uh and and everything else but um so i knew that he was going to nail the western stuff and also he's you know like when we were talking about doing a creator own book together um you know i i, I you know I, I bounced a few different things off him and he immediately was like, yeah, that Western, let's do that Western. You know, like he wanted to draw that outdoor adventure. Um, and then, uh, so I knew, I knew he was going to nail it, but then when we added the magic element, I, I mean, he went, he, he, he went, uh, you know, I, 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 I mean, I get these pages and it's like the best things I've ever seen. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, you That's know, like great. he, 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 he's, he's, he went above and beyond. You know what I mean? He's, he's going above and beyond every day. And, you know, so well, you're tapping into his imagination beyond providing that Western backdrop that I think you both were probably on point with. But this, I, I would imagine, is giving him the chance to really explore. His yeah, I mean, and, and that's you know, I mean, that, and that's the thrilling thing. Like, I mean, like I say, I, I've been very lucky with artists because I've, I've got you know, I, I've and, and with talk working on all these you know with these kids books and, and everything else, it's like you know, like every, every artist I'm working with is just like so committed to the project and and uh, and just blowing up. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I do. It's, just, it's really, it's been a really exciting year, uh, basically, or a few years, frankly. Well, that's cool because then, and well, that's why back to Superman because I'm interested. I I have to be honest. I still can't get quite a, a firm grip on this new Fifty Two Superman, and I realize technically it's a different, 
era. I don't even know what they're calling it in post-convergence, but really it's the same character that started with Grant doing action, yeah. which I liked, and I liked what uh, what Grant and Rags were doing uh, in action and stuff. There was so much like, but that, you know, and that was rooted in the past and, and his first literal steps. Uh-huh. So, so it really had this mirror to uh, the early original issues of Action Comics in the '30s oh, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And and that was that was fine. The when and, and you know Jeff Jeff Johns has always been a great caretaker of Superman and, and great stories. I don't know why I just couldn't I couldn't grab on with him and and Johnny uh, Ramita uh, doing doing Superman. The new power at first, you know, I'm like, all right, I shrugged. I'm like, whatever. Certainly the fact that. Uh, this kind of solar blast has pays it, you know, has a toll to pay in terms of you know bringing him back to square one and and you know slightly more super than the average man or somewhere in there, you know, he's leaping tall buildings instead of flying again. <laughs> Is it quite as invul- invulnerable as he used to be? Which makes it interesting. But now it seems like all right, now you know we're we're getting you guys are two issues in uh, Gene and Johnny. Are uh, like one issue in, and I, and I, you know, I mean, I, I like the I like the start of Gene's uh, run on on Superman, but um, what I really like was, you know, you you know, we've got this new status quo. Lois, you know, blows Clark's identity. It seems to be on a tear that I don't, you know, is unfamiliar to those of us who've always loved Lois. Uh, you know, and Clark is just individual characters, or when they're together. So, and I and I know we'll find out those motivations and exactly what happened later. That's okay. That doesn't bother me. But what I loved was, you know, you, you got Superman on the motorcycle. He's coming back to Metropolis. He's going back to a neighborhood that still loves him, dis, you know, despite uh, most of the world kind of taking Luther's side and a side that we're seeing even in the Batman Superman trailer of, can we trust this guy? Right. And, and what do we do with this guy now and everything? And he's and he's hunted in a way that maybe Batman would be more familiar with and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's all interesting. But yeah, I, I just the, it started feeling more familiar, and the characters seemed to be back to basics in your hands. And I'm glad to see that because just you know Jimmy being there for him, and I think uh, again the the fact that the neighborhood is still kind of behind Superman, and I would think that there have to be too many individuals that maybe have, you know, had their lives changed by Superman helping them and everything that it's like, despite whatever, you know, big media or, or even the government or police might tell you that, oh, this guy's a bad guy. It's like, yeah, that guy, you know, rebuilt my house or pulled me out of a burning, you know, building or something like that. And I, I just see that more like, I think there are more people that would, you know, just trust him more, but also just finding who this guy is now, yeah. because he is a different Superman than than what has come before. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like I, I just love this character. You know, what I mean, I love Clark Kent. I, I, I don't know what it is, but certain characters, as soon as I start to write them, they just click. You know, I mean, every character I write, I fall in love with. But you know, because I, I have to love them in order to write them. But, sure. but some characters, I have to struggle with more to kind of you know figure out. Get you know? them. Yeah, because a million a million writers will say, I I don't even know how to even start writing Superman because he is too powerful or whatever. But the the and I'm and I want to hear what you think. The fact that you just said I love Clark Kent shows me you're you're in the same place that all my favorite Superman writers are in that yeah Clark Kent's a person yeah and and it's not and even though he's got a lot of these great powers and stuff like that at the core he's this guy that was taught by the Kents and he's more human than I think the the writers that are afraid of writing him want to accept so go well, on Well yeah I mean and, and you know like I mean the way I I think Superman is Clark Kent you know I mean he's a he is this kid who grew up 
in Kansas and, you know, with these loving parents who are kind of very attentive and worried about him. He found out sure. that he had these spectacular powers and they, they you know, they, they, they taught him how, you know, uh, how, how incredibly exciting but also dangerous those were and he learned you know the, about the responsibilities and the risks associated with that and um but yeah i mean i see him as this you know kid who is uh you know trying to figure out how to do the right thing in the world and um uh and uh, it, 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 he's a his character just resonates with me, you know. I mean, I, I, I mean, on a superficial level, it's like I grew up in Texas. I moved to New York City. He grew up in, you know, in Kansas and moved to Metropolis, you know. And we're both <laughs> writers. Clark Kent's a writer. We both got glasses. Right. Um, you know, I, I mean, they, yes. you know, the, there's also something, you know, to the fact that I'm, you know, I'm Asian American. I'm half Korean, you know. So I, I, uh, I there's, the, you know, like I, I know what it is to ha- live in a you know, multicultural world. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, there, and, you know, you think about Clark Kent, um, and his, uh, you know, discovering that he is Kryptonian and, 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 and you know, he's, 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 you know, he, he has multiple backgrounds that he's grappling with. And, uh, and also just the notion that like, you know, at a certain point, Clark is seen as an alien. You know what I mean? I mean, Clark was Clark Kent was created by by children of Jewish immigrants. You know what I'm saying? And, right. and so, uh, you know, like he, that the you know, a lot of you know intelligent people have written about the fact that he, you know that there's a lot of uh, metaphor about the Jewish American immigrant experience there. Um, but that also right. that, they, that yeah, that there was a there was a level of discrimination towards Jewish people. Uh, at, of that era, uh, that maybe isn't as apparent in today's society. But yes, back in the thirties, yeah. yeah, I mean the Irish. The I mean that's the thing. Like we all think, oh, everyone's white, so you know, a white guy has the same. You know, every white guy has the same problem. And it's like, no, actually, like you know, uh, Irish whites were kind of discriminated against. Jewish whites were discriminated uh-huh. against. Southern Europeans and stuff. I mean, yeah, it's you know, it's not. You know, everyone was coming off the uh, Mayflower and being like, welcome to the table and everything. And, and, and so, but, but that same experience, I think, has resonated with me. I mean, and Gene has also talked about this. Gene Yang, who's writing Superman. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. those are, you know, so now you've got these two Asian-American dudes writing Superman right now. Which is, and, yeah, and, that's awesome. And, it, it's, uh, and, I, I, and I think it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, there's, sure. there's a way in which that, uh, that, that experience uh, resonates with me. Um, it's not that I'm thinking about that, you know, explicitly all the time i'm just like right i'm you know i'm immersing myself into this character's here and now and trying to understand where this character's coming from but but the you know uh but um but yeah i mean the, that stuff has uh it's personally uh I, i've got a personal connection to it i guess and you know and i have to have a personal connection with every character i write but you know with characters there have been a few characters over the years that just really click like that i mean clark kent is one the hulk is another uh Yes. Um, Adama, when I was writing Adama uh, uh, in uh, the, nice. the Battlestar Galactica series, for whatever reason, I just kind of got this guy, you know. Um, I, you know, was it, I, was it Lauren Green Adama or was it almost Adama? Oh no, it's, it were James almost Adama, definitely. Okay, kind of right. like the, his his uh, his quietness, you know, and the fact that yes. um, you know, like like how little he spoke, and and I mean those things just resonated. I mean, I got it. I don't know. I don't know why or how, but, um, did you ever, did you ever get a chance to talk to almost, I, you know, or? years ago, I, I, I met him at a, uh, event, an Asian, uh, or a, uh, it was a, 
it was a film event, and he was talking about Latino filmmakers and Latino filmmaking. Okay. He was there. I think he was there representing a, a Latino filmmaking organization. But I, I actually got to meet him and shook his hand and told him how much I admired him. I, in fact, I talked to him about uh, my Chinese uh, cowboy western, my Chinese gunslinger western, and I was like, maybe someday I can get this made, and you know, I can have a role for you in it. And he was very, you know, and that's like the kind of dumb thing that every cocky young film student tells, you know, the famous actor they meet, but, sure. but he was incredibly nice. He was like, yeah, hey, you never know. And he, you know, he shook my hand and wished me the best. I mean, yeah, no, he's a, uh, he's a, uh, I, I admire that guy a lot, but he's a tremendous actor, you know, and brought well, and there. he puts a lot of himself, it seems in his characters. Cause, uh, I got to talk to him about that last Battlestar Galactica movie oh, yeah. post series that the plan which was like basically a good coda for the series from the sidelines point of view. And it really did just kind of uh, go over all the old stuff, but you just kind of saw more of, of what their perspective was versus the series perspective. Mm. And it just gave me this opportunity to talk to him about the character. And you know, he loves Adamina. Oh yeah. Adam. Oh yeah. He, and, he, and he'll, he'll, you know, like he signs, he's, he signs off with, you know, so say we all on Twitter. Yes. Everything, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's my favorite story. He signed somebody's uh, board game. And it was, you know, and it was like fifty bucks to get a signature, but it wasn't just a signature. He literally wrote like this paragraph, like, you know, Tom, the Cylons will never defeat us. We will find Earth. So can we all find, you know, William James Adama, Admiral William James Adama, and then Edward James almost underneath it. And it's all on like the board of this game. And you know that the guy's probably got a heart on every time he plays this game because it's been sanctified by Admiral Adama. So. Yeah, no, that guy, yeah, <laughs> tremendous. I love it. Yeah, man. No, and I and I really do. I love that series so much. It, that was great. And I always forget that you, you got to write that for Dynamite. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's fantastic, man. But back to Clark Kent. Right. <laughs> I well no, I just I well no, this is this is all good, man, because we're we're talking about character yeah. and stuff. I uh I just I, I really love the people that remind us how important the Clark Kent persona is to the Superman dynamic. Oh, yeah. And I really do I it, it's the thing of well, is Clark Kent smart enough? And do you really like you know when they when they try to say you know or is he an, an intellectual equal to Batman? It's like all right, Batman might be able to outthink him at chess or something like that. But at the heart, and I used to have this argument with Jeff Loeb all the time. Clark Kent is an investigative reporter. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Clark is and, Clark's and, ridiculously smart. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm a, and I was a sports reporter, and I worked in sports talk, and and I always like to say I didn't want to grow up to be Superman. I wanted to grow up to be Clark Kent, and my <laughs> model was George Reeves. Because he was not a wimpy Clark Kent. Yeah. He was an investigative reporter. He was the guy that would go in to the, you know, Inspector Henderson's office and say, now, don't give me this nonsense, Bill. You know what's going on, and you're holding back on me. What's happening? And he'd really demand some answers. And that's what, And he was doing it as Clark Kent. He wasn't threatening to you know, use his heat vision on Inspector Edison. And they respected Clark Kent. And it was, all right, Kent, well, I'll tell you, here's the deal. And it's, that was great because he did. He used his brain as much as crashing through the brick walls to solve these problems. And I really think as uh, the writing on Superman gets more sophisticated and we're allowed to make, tell more adult stories and read more adult stories, that it's a great opportunity that as he's exploring his own humanity, that comes from the, the stories that he's covering as well. And it is still as much of an intellectual problem as it is, what rock do I have to pick up or push out of the way to solve this? And I, and I really think it's, it's that kind of good ex, you know, opportunity to explore his humanity through the problems that he faces, and it's going to likely happen on a one-to-one -one basis, and they're probably going to open up to Clark Kent a lot more than they're going to open up to Superman. Well, yeah, I mean, the 
the, I mean, the whole point of the Superman truth storyline is to find out who Clark Kent is. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I think that, you know, I, characters' powers are not who they are. The right. character's character is who, who that character is, you know? And, and so taking away a lot of Superman's powers is a great way to find out what Superman really is and who Clark right. Kent really who, is, you know? Who is he when, yeah, if he can't, who is the man if he can't be Superman? Yeah. I mean, Jason Aaron's doing it right now with Thor. If he's not, if he doesn't have the power of Thor and he doesn't have the hammer, what does that mean? Who is the Odin son yeah. if he can't be Thor? Yeah. And, you know, in my case, you know, like, I, spoiler alert, but I think, you know, like, Clark Kent is always going to be Superman. You know what I mean? You can, whatever you do to him, he's always going to be Superman. Now, he's going to have incredible amounts of trouble, and it may not be, he's not going to be the exact same. He's not, this isn't Uncle Superman. You know what I mean? This isn't, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I, I, this isn't the Kurt Swan, your, you know, your, your father, you know, the, the sixties, yeah. seventies, older, you're right. Parent kind of example yeah, of, Superman. this isn't, right. this isn't early thirties or mid thirties, you know, uncle Superman. Right. This is, this is early twenties, big brother, Superman, who's trying to figure stuff out, you know? And, and that's just an exciting, uh, place to to be with a character. Uh, it's just a blast to write him, and and in this new in, under these new circumstances when he's losing everything and uh, still struggling to 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 do the right thing. Uh, it, it's just it's been tremendous. It's a it's a huge amount of fun. No, I really from from the moment that he steals the motorcycle or takes the motorcycle from the gang to come back to Metropolis yeah. and stuff, I, I thought that was great. And uh, no, I think I think you and Aaron are, are hitting all the right notes. And honestly, I really think Gene and Johnny are too. Uh, I've only re- read the first issue of of their run so far, but uh, you know, I I I, I like this. It, there seems to be a clarity um, on all of the books, or at least you know. The, you know, and because I'd say the same thing with what you've got him going through. Because you're writing Superman, Wonder Woman too. No, 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 that's Pete Tomasi. Yeah, yeah. So, no, yeah. so are you still writing Batman? Yeah, Superman? so I'm writing Batman. Superman. All right, because I read that as well. Now, what? Now, what's happening? Now, remind me, what's happening in Batman? Superman? So, is Batman, well, Batman, Superman. Um, okay, it's Gordon. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Right? So you've got uh, Bruce Wayne is gone, and it's Gordon. Right. Gordon has become the new Batman. He's working. He's. Uh, he's. It's like an official Batman that's working for the Gotham Police. Department and right. nobody knows who he is, but it's Gordon inside this this crazy Batman armor, uh, and uh, so Superman. So this depowered Superman shows up on a motorcycle in Gotham City, chasing these goons, and uh, and uh, and uh, this new armored Batman is like, who the heck is this guy in a Superman T-shirt uh, making trouble in my city? And uh, and Superman sees this this guy who's who's this guy in this giant Batman armor. Attacking me, you know what I mean. So they they don't know who right. the other guy is, and they so uh, in 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 grand comic book fashion they fight. Um, but uh, you know, and so but it becomes the the story of the two these two guys trying to figure out if they can trust each other while while great big dangerous things are happening in Gotham. Because prior to this, they really haven't had any real experience with each other. Yeah, I mean, I I can't remember actually if uh, Gordon and Clark have ever directly interacted. Uh, so, and are you, you are treating it more as a first meeting. Yeah. I mean, we haven't explicitly said this is a first meeting. Also at this point in the story, uh, uh, Gordon knows that Clark is Superman because the whole world knows that, but right. Clark still doesn't know that Gordon is Batman. Uh, 
Um, you know, and so whether whether he will find that out or whether Gordon will re- reveal that to him uh, remains to be revealed. Uh, oh, okay. does Superman right now does not have his X-ray vision? I'm no, 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 no. He does not. He, yeah, yeah where, where's his power level? He can leap buildings. He's got he's got a modicum of super strength, but certainly not where you know he's not the planet pusher he used. Yeah, to. yeah, yeah. Exactly. He's uh, I, I mean, I he's he's uh, he's at a small fraction of his previous powers. Like he could he could probably pick up a car if he really worked hard. He can uh, he can't jump a, a building in a single bound. It would take him maybe three or four. Um, <laughs> If you if you shoot him with a gun, uh, like point blank range, um, it will like the bullet will probably break the skin and go about half an inch into him, uh, but it's not going to kill him. Uh, if you shoot him with a bazooka at point blank range, you might kill him. Uh, wow. So you know, like he's he's uh, he's tougher than any other normal human has ever been, uh, but he's. Uh, He's he's a tiny fraction of what uh, of of what the kind of power he used to have. You know, like, was it in? Go ahead. Uh, and and you know and and as a result, he also is uh, like he's feeling things he's never felt before. You know what I mean? Like like yes. the level of just everyday pain and struggle and and uh, and um, and hunger and cold and heat. You know, what right. I mean? like all of those. He, was it in your book or was it in uh, in uh, uh, Jeff Johns doing uh, Superman, where the Justice League was basically testing out how uh, where his power level? Oh yeah, that was yeah no, that was not in my book. Uh, oh okay, so, um, but yeah, so he's got. Um, I, I mean, it, it, it gives us uh, a chance for him to uh, you know, and at the same time, he- at the same time, he's being faced with these kind of Superman level challenges. So it's like sure. it's like an almost normal guy. I mean. Part, a big part of this is also, I mean, Superman's always been the man of the people. You know what I mean? Like, right. in this kind of crazy way, he's the most, you know, the most powerful person in the DC universe, but he's also the most uh, everyman, you know? Like, right, the most human. Yeah, exactly. He's the dude, yeah, which is, I mean, wrapped up in so many different ironies. It's kind of, it's phenomenal. But it, but it works, you know what I mean? Like, we believe that Superman is there for us because he's one, he feels like one of us, even though he's an alien. You know what I mean? But, um... But now uh, this kind of really accentuates that he's he's a man of the people. He's he's uh, he's at the ground level with us. You know what I mean? He's he's with us in this. And he's taking all the risks like this isn't like invulnerable Superman who can fly in and save the day and solve any problem by snapping his fingers and just knocking, you know, knocking people back with the force of just snapping his fingers or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he can't just, you know, solve every problem without hurting anybody and just make it all right. Um, He's uh, he you know when, if there's conflicts he's it, it gets he's at risk it gets messy and dirty and he has to make uh, decisions on the fly uh, that are a lot more risky than anything he's ever done before um, so it it kind of takes all those responsibilities he still feels as Superman but makes it so much harder for him to do what he thinks he needs to do. Uh, did you ever did you ever read from the early seventies that uh, Kryptonite Nevermore uh, Denny O'Neill, Murphy Anderson, Kurt Swan, and uh, Neil Adams was doing the covers. That Sand Superman that was created out. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, no? I, I, you know, I think I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, it's okay. very familiar, but I don't know if I remember this story. Okay, because yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I was a kid when that was coming out, and there was this moment where Superman basically is depowered, right. and in fact, uh, Wonder Woman's uh, mentor character, I Ching kind of came in for a while and it was really helping Superman through this period. But there's like this one small moment where uh, there are crooks in an alley, like, you know, 
mugging somebody or whatever, and it's three guys. And Superman really has to take him on without any powers at yeah. all. And just has to really just kind of, you know, bare knuckle and really beat him down. And he does it. And that's the neat thing is you guys are getting that opportunity on a wider canvas to tell more stories than just the one encounter. And, I mean, I really think that it was a great experiment that, that Denny was doing. And I think ultimately the editors, Julie, Julie Schwartz and, and company, were like, yeah, you know, something, this is fun, but let's get back to uh, the Planet Pusher again. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and, well, and that's another thing is that the editors, you know, like uh, DC is, uh, has been great because they are excited about trying big new things. You know what I mean? It's like they're, they, they gave us the challenge. Like um, Gene, me, Aaron, Pete Tomasi and also John Romita yep. Jr. We were all talking about this stuff, developing it together. And, um, you know, our challenge was to shake stuff up, you know what I mean? To get our guy into big trouble and see what, you know, and, 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 and to think big. And, uh, and so we came up with these crazy ideas and they were like, do it. Um, and, you know, we're committed to it. It's not like, you know, this isn't an imaginary story. This isn't a snap your finger right. and it's all going to be over in a month. This is, uh, this is, this is the real status quo of Superman and, uh, for the duration. And, uh, you know, we're going to explore it deep and go far. Um, and we got lots of story, uh, left to come in all these books. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, I love that commitment. You know what I mean? Um, I understand. Well, was that commitment there prior to this, you know, what led up to convergence and, and the plan that you guys are now executing? Because it does feel different. It does feel like finally, after a, a, a lot of resistance, it seemed, because a lot of creators that seemed to know what they were doing walked away because they couldn't tell their stories and because it was more editorially driven from up top. Uh, no, we want things to go this way, and, and I, I don't think the results worked out. Yeah, I, so I mean, I there seems to be a I can't speak to any of that because that's that's not you know that's that's not my experience. You know what I mean? Like every, everybody has a different okay. experience. You know? Okay. Um, yeah. No, that's good. But, Fine. That's great. But uh, but yeah, you know, and you know, like like every every co- you know everybody at every company has different experiences. And uh, sure. But, but um, but no, I, I mean, I've been you know I've been lucky. It, it's not like you know I saunter in and everything I say gets approved. Everything gets sure. everything it's vetted and everything is you know like of course we're all working in a shared universe and and uh and i mean there was a kind of a funny point when uh charles i, I love charles soul we had a great time working together in the superman books um but it, there was a funny point when we kept pitching the same ideas separately like three or four different ideas oh, that were almost almost the same you know and so we ended up like uh it was just I, I there was a certain point when we were just laughing about it because it was uh we had these you know, I mean, in a way that was fantastic because it meant that as we, you know, worked together in the Doomed book, I mean, we clearly had a very simpatico sense of the character, you know what I mean? And of, of, of fun stuff to do with the character. So, um, so that, I mean, it was, it was pretty great. Um, but yeah, you know, like, uh, you know, the, every idea when you're working with this many editors and this many writers and you're, you're, you're trying to develop stories together, um, you know, like you may come in thinking, you know, like you have the best idea ever, but then in the room and while you're talking to people, it's going to develop and, you know, and, uh, and you need to be flexible so that, you know, the other, other writers can tell the stories they've been building, you know what I mean? And, sure. and you, you incorporate each other's stuff and you, you hopefully, I mean, in the ideal situation, you all come in with ideas and contribute and, and together you find, a bigger story that incorporates those things um, without it becoming a mishmash. And instead it becomes its own 
new, beautiful thing that would not have existed without all of you there. You know what I'm saying? And, and that, that has its own integrity, you know, but it still incorporates the different, different elements from, uh, from, from each, from everybody in the room. And, uh, you know, and, and with, with this particular storyline, I think it's, we, we, we've got a group of writers and editors that, are very good at giving and taking, you know what I mean? And, uh, I mean, there, 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 there are points when, uh, one of us will have an idea for a scene that, you know, we may love, uh, but then we realize it really belongs in somebody else's book. You know what I mean? So there's been that kind of trade off and nobody has, okay. nobody's got the kind of ego to mess, you know, to, to, to mess that up, you know? So, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge challenge doing a story that's going to affect four different books and, and work with this many different, you know, writers and all of that. But, um, you know, and, and so there's always some crazy thing that we're grappling with to try to, you know, like, and, and some new, new thing we're figuring out. But, um, but I mean, so that's the, that, that can be, you know, you, you <laughs> can be, there are always surprises and some of them are not so pleasant, but then, but then that's the glory of it too. You know, I mean, you're you're working on the fly and coming up with with fun solutions and and working with smart people. It's, it's been a blast. I mean, oh well, yeah. Col- col- collaboration means you don't get everything you want, and that's fair. I mean, I understand. You know, I but I think the, really, honestly, just the handful of issues that we're in post convergence, uh, the three different creative voices that are coming from the four books. I mean, that that is the good news. Is to me, it feels like Superman in all four of them. See, that's perfect. You know, I mean, so that's... so yeah. I mean, Pete's doing the right thing. It seems like Gene's doing the right thing, and you're doing the right thing. Yeah. So that's awesome. I mean, we've, we've, I mean, just the fact that you know we've gotten in a room together so many times, you know, means that we've, you know, we, we we've started to develop a real, you know, I, I think we've got a shared understanding of of the character where it's all going. And, that's and, and, and I know Eddie. I mean, Eddie's been a caretaker of Superman before to great success. Uh, I, I've liked the times that Eddie has has overseen, you know, the 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 franchise mm-hmm. as well. And and you know, this isn't his first time. And so I, I think he's he's a good guy to have in there as well as an absolutely, editor. absolutely, yeah. And yeah, and we've had a a bunch of different great assistant editors. Right now, we've got Andrew Marino, who's who's doing a great job. Uh, but folks like Ricky Perdine and Jeremy Bent in the past were, uh, were, and, and Anthony Marquez, uh, those are folks, who, you know, other editors in the, in the Superman office that, uh, uh, who are all just tremendous to work with. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, yeah, you know, it's been a ton of fun. I mean, I, I, you know, I get to play with this amazing 76 year old toy that's just as fresh as it's ever been, you know, I mean, and, and, uh, and uh, and tell Superman stories. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. With the movie coming out next year, I mean, it always seems like it's smart to, by the time movie the movie comes out, to have collected stories that reflect the same tone. Is that something that you guys try to do, or is that still something that's independent of what you guys are doing? You know, yeah. how would you explain the relation to them, what they're doing in the? You know, I we don't really talk about it that much. You know, we're just we're just uh, we're just focused on doing the best stories we can. You know, with, with you know, like telling our stories as as best as, as we can. And um, you know, I mean, my my hope, of course, is that you know, by the time the movie comes out, we'll have multiple collected editions of different Superman stories that folks can pick from. I don't know that people. Yeah, I mean, you know, like there is this kind of you know sense of like, oh, you know, when the movie comes out, we should give folks something like what's in the movie. I don't know. If, I don't know if people really are looking for that. You know what I mean? Like. I think sometimes like books that are direct tie-ins to the movies, um, I think are, I, I mean, I can't even remember this, this as a kid. I wasn't that interested in a, 
in a direct adaptation or tie into a to a movie um, sure, when I was a kid. Because, yeah, because that was a watered down version of something we got on a much bigger scale. Yeah, exactly. On, on I mean, screen. I, I, so that's yeah, that's the wrong direction, and that was always the traditionally wrong direction. Yeah. But it seems like on the Marvel side of the street. You know the you know literally Iron Man two comes out and then all of a sudden Matt Fraction's first Iron Man arc happens to be about Justin Hammer at, just as Iron Man two is about you know, Justin I think, Hammer. I different. think that was coincidence. I think that that Matt had I I, I don't know but I seem to remember sure. or maybe it was when Matt first started on the book. I think just that his vision of Iron Man just just the way he was writing it uh, just happened to be very similar in tone to the way, uh, you know, to the, to the vibe that Robert Downey Jr. brought to that character. I, I could be, I, I just seem to remember yeah. talking about that in interviews. Uh, yes. um, you know, so sometimes that's just, you know, the, the vibe just works, but um, you know, like with, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens by the time the movie rolls out. But um, you know, my hope is that folks will walk into a store and there will be lots of, cool Superman stories, you know, I mean, I, you know, heck, I hope that people will just be interested in Superman and then they come in and they see this, you know, this crazy thing with Superman in a t-shirt on a motorcycle and they're like, what the heck is this? You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, they're going to grab that because, because it's awesome. You know, is Lois's story primarily going to be handled in Jean's book or yes. do you get well, to play with Lois well, as well? You, so Jean's book, the Superman book is telling the story of how uh, Superman's identity gets revealed and how he loses his, uh, his powers. And um, so that backstory of how Lois comes to this, uh, the point where she reveals his identity, that that definitely is covered in Jean's book. And she has a reason, you know, uh, and that reason is not just because she's a reporter. You know what I mean? So there's, there's a big, there's, there's a big reveal coming. That's awesome. Um, okay. But, uh, but the, um, the, uh, uh, uh what else was I going to say? Oh yeah. But Lois is also appearing. Uh, she shows up in Batman Superman, um, at a, uh-huh. at a later stage, you know, so the, the different books right now are taking place at different times. So the Superman book tells the backstory of how, how we got here. The action comics storyline tells the story of what happens when Superman comes back to Metropolis. Um, and then the Batman Superman and the Superman Wonder Woman books takes place at slightly different times. And uh, one of them explores Superman's relationship with Batman. The other explores uh, Superman's relationship with Wonder Woman under this new status quo. But it's sort of like a I mean, the, the experience of reading each one of those books individually is you're just reading that one story as the through line. The experience of reading them all together as they're coming out is a bit like Pulp Fiction. You know what I mean? You're getting uh, snippets of this bigger picture um, uh, revealed to you uh, as, as you go along. So uh, while, you're, while you're seeing what's happening uh, now in Metropolis, you're getting glimpses of, uh, in the Superman book of how we got there. You know, so so there's this kind of fun jumping back and forth in time to fill in different gaps of the story. So it's a bit of a, it's kind of a fun puzzle, you know, for folks as okay. they're, as they're reading it in real time. Because uh, I assumed I assumed it was the use of that new solar power burst that kind of depowered Superman right. and put him. You'll, you'll, have, to, you'll yeah. have to keep reading, John. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Interesting. All right, no, yeah, that that's good. All right, I'm glad there's more of a mystery to it and everything. Yeah. That's that's fine. Um, no, and like I said, I think they're both. I think all all of them are interesting. And also, by the way, I'm really glad that Brian Hitch's JLA book gets to be its own continuity because, man, I'll tell you, the only thing that I'm fearful of 
I, I think it is great, and I think that that there needs to be like different things going on with Superman in his own book, and I think that's great. But sometimes when you run a read a Justice League book, and all like poor James Robinson, and also poor Dwayne McDuffie when they had the the Justice League books, and it's like, oh, oh yeah, but you know, Batman's unstuck in time, so you don't get Batman. Oh yeah, and Superman is off on New Krypton, so you don't get him. And Wonder Woman is off in the past, and I don't know what the hell J. Michael Straczynski's doing, but whoever it is, it ain't Wonder Woman, so you don't get her. And and poor Dwayne was like, can I use the Atom? No. Can I use Hawkman? No. And it's like, where the fuck is the Justice League? And meanwhile, Hitch gets to come in and it's like, yeah, guess what? Here's Batman. Here's Superman. All right? Yeah. No, it's not Jim Gordon. No, it's not It's not Superman in a t-shirt. It's fucking Superman. All right? Because we're telling the Justice League story. So I'm glad it, that DC's letting them do that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, I think you know, like, the, the comics is, you know, I mean, it's a, mainstream comics, superhero comics is a funny thing because – the whole excitement about, I mean, a, a big part of the excitement about these kinds of comics is the shared universe, right? Um, sure and, and seeing, and, and a lot of the fun for readers is seeing the links and seeing how something set up in one book pays off in another and kind of putting together that whole shared universe. I mean, I, I get it. I understand that. I, I participate in that. I love it. And in fact, sure. I mean, the world itself, uh, you know, like the wider culture tilts that way now too because of the success of the Marvel movies. You know what I mean? Like now, um, you know, people, I, I, you know, I watched that last Avengers movie and I realized this isn't just a traditional big action movie. This is part of a serial. You know what I mean? This is serial entertainment. Yes, it's a chapter. It's a chapter in a longer yeah. story. Absolutely. And people love that, you know? Uh, sure they do. So, oh, absolutely. so I, I, I get it at the same time when you've got so many books and so many different stories, uh, uh, coming out every month from these publishers, giving, ourselves and, you know, like giving everybody the flexibility uh, to not necessarily be slavish about, you know, making. Continuity. Yeah, exactly. It, it means that you can tell better stories sometimes. Yes. You know? well, and it's um, stories that will stand the test of time. Grant Morrison during the JLA. Hey, look, it's Blue Energy Superman. Wah, wah. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. That just is like. Why? What is? What's going on here? Why is Superman like this? I mean, when you read it now, it doesn't. It made perfect sense in the mid '90s as it was happening. But yeah, man, it's like I just think you're you're hurting yourself for the longer experience of you know whatever. So I'm I'm glad there's an option. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, yeah, and I don't yeah. mean to. And by the way, I don't mean to just gross at you. About <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> but I, but you know, I I imagine it's on the minds of people and stuff. And yeah, I just want to get your point of view yeah, on no. on some of these things as well. And by all means, like. You know, disagree and say, "Yeah, John, you're full of shit." No, no, no. I mean, I, I you know, like, I, 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 I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think it's, I think the audience is smart enough to be able to, you know, to, to, to make sense of it. And uh, I, I mean, you, you saw some of this back uh, when Joss Whedon was writing Astonishing X Men, which was tremendous, you know. And uh, but, but, but it was its own thing. Yeah, I mean, and it did influence the continuity of the other books, but. You know, but I mean, I think Joss described it as dancing between the raindrops. You know what I mean? That that the uh, if you if you wanted to sit down and slavishly try to track every scene and and fit it all into a timeline, it would be very hard to do because that because Joss's story, I think that took place in sort of fictional time over a very pretty short amount of time. But that I think, but it took like three years to come out. You know, and so in the meantime, all the other stories had been progressing uh, faster, you know, and so, sure, sure. Um, but, you know, when it all washed out, 
there, I mean, it was all in continuity and all the stuff that happened in those, in Joss's books That's reverberated, true. you know what I mean? You're and right it, about that. That's very true. And, yeah. and, and so it doesn't really, you know, it's, it, it's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? It all, Oh no, it, I agree. It, you know, so, so I, you know, well, I, Pulp Fiction is even a good example of what you're saying in terms of what's happening in the Superman books, because you can say the same thing about, uh, Snyder and Capullo and what they were doing in Batman, and meanwhile Francis and Buccalato, uh in Detective were able to tell straight up Batman stories that were were fine. And it's like, hey, while all this Year Zero shit's happening in the main Batman book, in Detective you're getting you know the Batman that you've always wanted and or liked without having to you know, invest in the Capullo Snyder uh, soap opera if you didn't want to, yeah. and if you just wanted to, re- hey, I just want to read Batman, you know. Doing his thing and stuff. Okay, great. It's happening in Detective. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all. You know, those, I think those allowing us to be flexible allows for you know for creators to do great work and and, here, here. and the stories can you know and then eventually you can see how the. I mean, I remember. I think Jim Lee has talked about this publicly about the difference between canon and continuity. You know what I mean? It's like you're not going to worry quite so much about making every small thing sync up perfectly, but you're, sure. but you're committing to the big moments and the big changes and the big stories that, that matter. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, and also that way we get to do great, you know, like you can have that way you can have a bizarro book, you know what I mean? Hey man, love the bizarro book. Yeah. Love the Batmite book. Um, like I said, Hitch's JLA book is great. I love Jeff's uh, run right now on justice league as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. I No, I, I like a lot of what's coming out of this post-convergence DC, and and that's terrific. Uh, and I'm glad that it's, uh, you know, there are the books that are kind of tightly, uh, you know, tied to continuity, and then there are the books that can cut loose and, and have a lot of fun. Yep. And, God, Prez is, Prez is interesting. I mean, that's the thing. There's just a lot of fun, creative experimentation yeah. going on. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, that's wonderful. It's a thrill. It's really, it's really cool. Excellent, man. Well, let's jump to Marvel now. All right. Because uh, as as we've you know heard about and and could kind of tell from the hairdo <laughs> that something was going on that clearly wasn't Bruce uh, Banner like ro- what is that like faux kind of rooster's uh, comb I don't, I don't know like it, like is there a name for, I mean yeah we're too old I don't know, we don't know, I don't know. we'll we'll, we'll have to wait and see we'll have to wait and see <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the all new uh, is it all new all different Hulk? What's the what's the title yeah, the called? T- again? The title, and I I kid you not, the title is the totally awesome Hulk. The totally awesome. The totally awesome Hulk. Hulk. That is the name of the book. And do we know it's Amadeus Shore? Do we all suspect that it's Amadeus? Uh, who knows? Who knows? It has right. nothing. Nothing <laughs> has been revealed. Well, I mean, so the uh, the the cover that's so I, I'm writing the book. Frank Cho is drawing, and the uh, yes. and the cover is shown a silhouetted uh, or or blacked out. Uh, face and arm of the character. So we're, we're, it has not yet been revealed who this new Hulk is. It is a new Hulk. We're telling you that. The other big thing we're telling you is that this new Hulk loves being the Hulk. Uh, he's going to be the best Hulk there ever was. He loves the job. And uh, <laughs> But if you know anything about what happens when the Hulk does what the Hulk does, uh, that, that's, uh, the, the, it's, uh, that might be a dangerous attitude to have. So he's going to cause all kinds of trouble for everybody in the Marvel Universe. Um, and uh, and the, the book's a total blast to work on. Uh, Frank Cho is drawing, and my God, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and uh, Sonia Obak is coloring. Uh, it's just, I mean, the, and Mark Panitia is editing. Mark, who I 
I it was the editor of uh, all of my Hulk stories in the past. The Planet Hulk stuff, yeah, the man. World War Hulk stuff, all the all the Scar Son of Hulk stuff. The uh, like Berganza, like Berganza with Superman. No, Mark Panic's always been a, a great guy to have uh, doing Hulk stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's 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 tremendous. I mean, and I I, I love Mark, and uh, uh, and and it's it's been uh, just a huge amount of fun coming back to to work on books with him again, and specifically working on this book. It's uh it's 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 a blast. I can't. I, I wish I could tease more, but uh, I would get into I would get into great trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, we, I know I know uh, you also had the little uh, backup story in uh, Planet Hulk, yeah. Sam Humphrey's uh, Secret Wars uh, title. Yes. And I, man, I'm telling you, I love that story. But also, it was fun to see the little Am- Amadeus Cho. Yeah, yeah. And I, kind of, oh, we, kind of, you know, moment in there. Yeah, we got to bring uh, Takeshi Miyazawa uh, in to to do that. To, Tak and I uh, co-created Amadeus Cho way, 11 years ago now, which is crazy. I, ne- I never remember that Tak was the co-creator. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that was the first time I ever worked with Tak. And uh, so, um, you know, it, it, we've worked together many times since then. But we've also managed to do a number of Amadeus Cho stories together over the years. And, and uh, so we're able to do another one for, the, for that uh, Planet Hulk Secret War story. It was fun. Well, congratulations in introducing Amadeus Cho because I think it's really tough to break in a new character, and I think uh, there are a lot of Amadeus fans, and I think he made his presence known. I think he's been a fun uh, foil for some of the other big brains of the Marvel Universe. It's been fun watching him either you know, fight with Hank Pym or fight with uh, Reed or some of the other uh, – <laughs> Like I said, Marvel big brains that he's had to kind of inc- or Bruce himself for that. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's been, I mean, the character's been a total blast to work on. And, and you know, again, it's like, I mean, I, it's kind of interesting because these days, um, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about diversity in comics now, and which is great. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to see so many uh, characters coming up. But uh, I, I think it's also worth, you know, uh, noting that there have been great editors and great, you know, there, there have been all kinds of people for decades in comics who have been uh, working hard and creating uh, and, you know, diversifying the casts of these books. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that Amadeus kind of stuck a little bit, you know what I mean? That, that uh, so many people responded to him and, and we had tremendous support from editors and folks behind the scenes at Marvel with that character, you know, for, for, for over a decade. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, so, um, so, but, but yeah, especially thanks to all the people who, who, who ever picked up a book with Amadeus in it. Actually at the, at the con today, I was, uh, drawing a little sketch of Amadeus and a kid walked up and said, Hey, I know that. <laughs> I was like, what? That's yeah, yeah. He was like, yeah, that's Amadeus Cho. And I was like, yes, yes it is. Um, but you know, I mean like that kind of, uh, you know, just a random kid at the Comic-Con came up and was all excited about seeing me drawing a picture of Amadeus Cho. He's like, yeah, he's got the little coyote pup, right? I was like, that's right. <laughs> Has he shown up in the Agents of Smash uh, cartoon? Uh, yes, I believe so. Um, I, I, I think so. I know that he's shown up. He's shown up in several cartoons. I'm pretty sure the Agents of – yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he was in uh, the Agents of Smash pretty recently, actually. Okay. And, I'm, due, I'm, I'm due to talk to Wacker, so I, I, I'm going to have to get the, the full story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of awesome. He's popped up in a number of places. And then, uh, and then a character in the, uh, in the Avengers movie uh, was named Helen Show, which coincidentally That's is true. the name of Amadeus's Cho's mother. Uh, in the comics, so uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's it's fun to see um, you know something you've created resonate in, in you know or, or or show up again in, in other media. There's a oh, resonate resonate. Are you getting a check? For this? <laughs> Let's be honest. Come I, on. I, I I I have signed non disclosure agreements. 
All right, fine. I understand. Well, all right, hopefully. And if not, at least – hey, if not, th- what I really think honestly is and – I, and I congratulate you and a lot of your uh, contemporaries as well. You make your mark at the, at the big two. You you get you you build an audience and then go hey by the way if you really like what I'm writing I got a couple of original ideas you want to come with me and a lot of them do and I think that's awesome and I think you know it's it's obviously showing as we you know started this conversation and talking about you know some of the creator owned stuff that you've been doing and everything so hopefully you know at the very least that's where the value of obviously working for the big two is making your name and getting your name out there and and you know kind of proving yourself. Playing with their toys and then getting a chance to, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, definitely. That's. That, I mean, that's that's that that has been a blast. At the same time, I will say it's not. You know, it's not like a. It's it's not a kind of cynical using of the big companies to do that. It's it's. The, I mean, the, no, no. yeah, yeah. I, I know you're not saying that, but just just to. Uh, I, I mean. Sure. Like, yeah, like yeah. all of the books that I work on, you know, I guess I've, I've said this a few times, but it's like I have to fall in love. You know, I literally have to right. fall in love in order to make those books work. I put as much heart and soul into uh, a work for hire book, uh, you know, any work for hire book as I do any creator own book. You know what I mean? Like I, I have to do that. Otherwise, the stories don't work. You know what I mean? It's uh, and and also it's like the, uh, you know, like like being able to. I mean, the shared universe thing is, I, I mean, because the creator own work is just tremendous, of course, right? Because you're, you know, you're, you're creating something brand new and you're doing it with a, you know, a, a team that you've, you know, that you've been able to assemble and, and it, you know, it's just ridiculously gratifying. It's also ridiculously gratifying doing, uh, contributing to these shared universes. You know what I mean? Being able to create characters, um, in, in the super, like, for example, we just created a new character, um, in the Superman, in the Action Comics book, named Lee Lambert. Uh, she's an African American firefighter uh, who is uh, one of the people in the uh, in, uh, in in Kentville, which is the the sort of yes. tent city that's formed on Clark's old block of you know folks who are supporting Superman. Um, and you know, if you know anything about Superman, you know that L, those initials LL are very significant <laughs> in the Superman universe. You know, like so many significant people to Superman have those initials: Lex Luthor, Lana Lang, Lois Lane. And um, you know, so first off, just the chance to you know the chance to contribute a character like that, who you know, who hopefully will other people will take and do things with. Also, you know, like I mean, that sure. was one of the glories with Amadeus Cho when Dan Slott used Amadeus in, in his Mighty Avengers book. In Mighty Avengers, absolutely. yeah, it was that was a that was a really big deal for me. I mean, thank you, Dan, if you're listening to this but you know like when other people take little toys that you've created and then run with them that's really uh i mean that's 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 a special thing you know as a creator to 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 see uh the stuff that you've you've uh that you've touched go on and do um do other things uh i meant to ask about her actually because it reminded me of an an idea that jt crawl did in that uh superman beyond uh, in the Batman Beyond books, when he had the Superman uh, feature in there, and uh, I, I thought that was a great idea for uh, Superman's new identity. He can, he comes back to Earth after being Superman for so long, and all of Clark Kent's contemporaries in this future world are dead. Oh, yeah. So for him to come back as an older guy, he becomes a firefighter oh, yeah. and actually develops a relationship with uh, with a, a female fighter fighter. For, and I wonder if that had any influence. Oh no, I, I actually hadn't. Uh, I, I haven't read that. So. Uh... Okay. But, you know, you, well, that's like you and Charles Soule. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Well, and also Grant Morrison had uh, Clark uh, briefly take on the role of a fighter fighter. 
or uh, oh, okay. uh, in in, uh, in in the new Fifty Two early on. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it kind of makes you know, like that's I I guess oh, multiple, yeah. multiple folks have kind of stumbled across it. You know, like the Clark is a uh, you know he's here to serve. You know, so well, yeah, he wants to help people, and exactly. absolutely, I think you know, rescuing people. That's you know, uh, firefighters' uh, main main priority and everything. So no, it makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. No, that's excellent. I, I I did like her and I did notice her. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned. Oh, her. I appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely, man. So um and then to wrap up real fast, I'm curious about um you know the uh, the filmmaker side of you. What's what's going on in that world? Oh yeah, I've got a uh, a short film called um, Happy Fun Room, uh, which is about a <laughs> uh, yes exactly. It's uh, it's uh, I, I made it um, with uh, funding from ITVS, uh, which funded uh, a bunch of sci-fi shorts as part of its uh, Future State series. And uh, you can actually see them all as part of this shared story world at futurestates.tv. Um, you can also just Google Happy Fun Room and uh, it'll probably come up. Uh, it's on YouTube as well. Um, and it's gonna it's showing in film festivals around. Um, it, it's actually going to show at DragonCon. Uh Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so it's a uh, so it's a short film about a um, a woman who uh, uh, about the the host. She's it's set in the near future. It's about a woman who's the host of a kids uh, a kids show, a, a children's television show. Um, but it's you know she founded this she started this show uh, in sort of a post disaster America after there had been this sort of series of terrible uh, crises and riots. And so the whole show is designed to uh, teach kids how to stay safe. Um, so it's all about, uh, about like, you know, staying like the lessons that are taught are about like lock the door and take your pills and, uh, you know, when danger comes hit the floor, you know, but it's all very cheerful and bright. Um, but it's, you know, so it's, it's, it's funny and creepy. Um, but the, the, uh, but the actual story is about her, uh, uh, sort of coming to terms with the fact that the world is getting better and it's not as scary as it used to be, but she still wants to sort of stay in the, in the happy fun room, you know? So Ah. Is she ready to take that next step? Um, it's, uh, it, the, the star is Cindy Chung, who was in my movie Robot Stories back in the day. She's this brilliant actress. She's very, very funny, but also does, is, is just really, uh, a dramatically a great actress. So, so check it out. Happy fun. I will. I absolutely will. That's fantastic, man. Very, very cool. Well, nice going, man. Uh, I know you got a full plate and, uh, we wish you luck on the final days of uh, ABC Disgusting's uh, Kickstarter. Thank you very much. You know, while we've been talking, it actually uh, tipped over uh, $28,000. So oh my. that means that I have to eat a banana with ketchup. Oh, man. Ew. I'm, All I'm right. I'm going to go uh, have a bite of banana with ketchup on it. Oh, my God. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm happy for you, and yet I'm also grossed yeah, out. Yeah, so yeah, that's... It's disgusting. What can... Oh, man. Well, all right. And then, uh, you know, this Listerine is just uh, <laughs> two swallows away, and everything will be fine. But uh, that's okay. No, seriously, man. Hey, I, I really uh, thank you again for uh, participating in the in the podcast panel at San Diego. Um, I can tell you the truth. It, 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 I mean, I've gotten great feedback in the couple weeks since. Oh, great. And people were very happy with it, and I know I was very happy with the conversation as well. Um, and yeah, no lie, I mean, I, you you could hear it. I, I actually had, you know, kept in. I don't know if you heard the recording, but I kept like when you and uh, and Calvin walked in, and I'm like, oh, thank God, <laughs> here they are. Okay, good. And again, like Johnny K and I would have been fine to talk amongst ourselves, but we just oh, didn't know what to expect. The good news is we did have a decent, at least, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, 
you know, I mean, like a third of the audience kind of filled yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, so, no, it was, yeah, it was. You know, for being the first year at the library and stuff, and also, uh, I know that the day before, it was all Star Trek themed. Oh. And I'm like, well, you know, that's easy. By all means, put that at the library. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Star Trek will, yeah, will, will gather a crowd. The question is, are they going to come and listen to us talking about podcasting? All the cool kids did. That's that's all that matters. Yeah, there you go, there you go. But no, we uh, no. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to say, thousands of uh, downloaders later, that uh, many thousands have listened now, and it's you know we've reached Hall H numbers. So that's uh, you know, and that's only in the first couple of weeks. So awesome. I think we're on our way. Well, that's always my reassurance to anyone who comes to a, a San Diego kind of you know inside baseball sort of panel, and they're afraid that only 50 people are going to watch. It's like, yeah, guess what. This is going to be on the podcast, and a few other thousands are, you know, thousands will hear this. Don't worry. They may not see it, but they'll hear it. So, <laughs> no, I, so that's I appreciate being invited, as always, man. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. And, and no, uh, as always, uh, good luck with the new stuff, and really uh, interested to see uh, how this totally awesome Hulk turns out and who he ends up becoming. Uh, and uh, I don't know, any other interest in, will we see more uh, Marvel post-Secret uh, Wars stuff from you? Or is, is, uh, uh, I'm, just on the, I'm just on the Hulk book for now, and uh, I, I got a pretty, pretty, a pretty pull, a pretty full plate. So this is true. This is I'm true. sticking with that for now, but I'm thrilled to be doing it, and, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Absolutely, and and good luck with the Dark Horse Western as well. Which Kings of? Uh... Yeah, it's called Kingsway West. Oh yeah, yeah. And just you know, one little quick thing: if Please. you like the idea of that, go to KingswayWest.com and you can pre-order the book. I've got over a hundred different comic book stores that uh, that agreed to let me set up this website and add their names to it, so you can pick a comic book store near you, fill in your name, oh, that's and, great. yeah, fill in your name and contact info, and how many books you want, and uh, and pre-order it. And you don't have to pay any money up front. The uh, the information will be sent to those stores. We'll send you a reminder when the book comes out, and then you go to the store and actually buy the book from them when it comes out. Smart. And then when does and when does that uh, debut in? In, in November. November. Okay, fantastic. So there is plenty of time oh, yeah. and to pre-order and everything. So yep. KingswayWest.com. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Now, Greg Pock, nice going as always. I'm always interested in what's happening in that brain of yours, <laughs> and uh, and thank you for sharing. Thank you, sir. There you go. Put this word balloon in the books because we are all wrapped up. I want to thank Greg Pock and Jeff Loeb for their conversation and, uh, as always, uh, continued interest in coming back to Word Balloon and sharing their thoughts with uh, you, the Word Balloon audience, and me because uh, we're all in this together, and it's great to uh, hear from these guys and women uh, right from uh, their mouths and what they're thinking about as they make this wonderful content. Today's Word Balloon was brought to you again by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Um, I, I'm telling you, there's just a lot of people coming. As uh, Jeff even teased, uh, people that have never been on Word Balloon are going to be on in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, I'm very excited to have some of these people on for the very first time because they've been making some of my favorite uh, comics, television, and film for... Um, well over uh, 20 years, if not 30 years. So uh, very excited to be talking to these people and more. Uh, join us and uh, to get an advanced uh, word on some of these uh, interviews and uh, access to them before I release them as uh, pure podcasts. You can uh, be a subscriber 
uh, to Word Balloon via Patreon. If you go to wordballoon.com, I'll give you all the details there on uh, how to do it. It's really simple. If you can spare a buck a month, that would be terrific. And if you can't, I understand. I mean, like I always say, I know times are tough, and uh, not everyone can spare it. But if you can spare the extra money, if you like the entertainment you hear on Word Balloon, the money that you spend goes right back into the podcast, and it allows me to travel and uh, go to conventions and um, make these connections. And, uh, you know, it it just makes it that much easier to uh, get these people on the show and uh, have these wonderful conversations. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the Cincy Comic Con coming to the Northern Kentucky Convention Center September 12th and 13th. Uh, that's coming up in just a few weeks, but there's still plenty of time to make arrangements, and it's totally worth it. Uh, talking about people like Tony Moore, Mike Norton, Kevin McGuire, Jim Mafood, Eric Powell, Phil Noto, Mark Schultz, Chris Sprouse. My God, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mark Kidwell, um, Ryan Brown, Jeremy Bastian. Chris Burnham, Sean Crystal. Holy cow. Uh, you know, please join us. Uh, Ming Doyle is going to be there. Sarah Dyer is going to be there. Uh, Adam Withers and Comfort Love are going to be there. Ray Fox is going to be there. Uh, Mike Hawthorne. Uh, really looking forward to hearing Mike, Rick Remender, and Tony talk about the 10th anniversary of Fear Agent. Uh, Fables, Bill Willingham, Matt Sturgis, and Chris Robertson are all going to be there to talk about those books. Plus, Chris, of course, will be talking iZombie, I'm sure, and more. Um, Jeff Parker is going to be there to talk. Uh, Derek Robertson. Can't wait. Hope you'll join us the 12th and 13th of September, the Northern Kentucky Convention Center. It's a great September convention. A great way to relax that weekend. If you're in the tri-state area and want to make the drive, totally worth it. If you want to stay over, great hotels right there along the convention center. And um, it's just great. It's it's a great two-day show. And it's a great kind of chill weekend. If you're looking for something post-Labor Day to do, this is the event, Cincy Comic Con. Please join us. Uh, Word Balloon will be there. I'll be moderating panels and uh, arranging uh, for programming that you will later hear on the Word Balloon podcast. But be in the audience. Be part of it. Uh, Ask the questions that I forget to ask because, you know, I could always use help in that department. So, and I hope you'll join us. For all the details, check out Cincy Comic Con, C-I-N-C-Y Comic Con dot com. That's the Cincy Comic Con, September 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center, just across the river from Cincinnati. A beautiful place, great value in terms of uh, hotels and ticket price to the convention as well. You can't beat it. I hope to see you there. John Sutcher saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for keeping the lights on and keeping me sane and uh, thanking me for uh, doing the show. And it's my pleasure and and glad that you can be a part of it. And uh, I appreciate the support that you give me each month through Patreon. Questions or comments about the show, you can reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. Follow me at Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and uh, follow the fan page of the Word Balloon Network. And don't forget about the All Yeah podcast. I know we don't uh, do it as regularly as Word Balloon, but that's because the guys are busy making the donuts, Art and Franco, and they've got uh, more programming coming up in the weeks ahead, so stick around for that. And uh, that's all I can think of. I'm on Tumblr. I'm on Instagram when uh, the mood strikes me and I have something interesting to say or share photograph-wise, or or original art, or what have you. So uh, just join me on those various social media circles, and uh, thank you for your your attention. And I hope to uh, have you listen again in just a few days for another new episode of Word Balloon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.